Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Karlsson, 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 världens bästa Karlsson Yes! Welcome everybody to another episode of Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who one day hope to be as healthy as the Chicago Blackhawks are right now. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, to break down a bunch of teams and players who have come back from injury lately, and we're going to get into the impacts. Then we'll, of course, talk about some line combos, some hot and cold streaks, the regular gist of an episode of Keeping Carlson. Very excited to be here with my co-host, the IPP MVP, the Fantasy Hockey robot himself, the Poobah Prognostication, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Elon, don't set the bar too low. We don't only want to be as healthy as the Chicago Blackhawks, but we'd like to be much more effective than the Chicago Blackhawks. No one's excited about anybody getting outjured in Chicago, although we will at least pretend to be for a half a moment later on in the show. What I'm excited about is the trade deadline that's coming up in a lot of Yahoo leagues and fantasy leagues across across all platforms. March 9th is a pretty common common one that's uh that's what wednesday so i i hope on this show we can offer you some valuable tidbits that help you make some last minute deals if you need to you know also the trade deadline's a big thing you don't have to deal might not be worth it but we'll at least give you something to chew on as you consider wheeling to that to do that last bit of dealing ahead of your upcoming trade deadline yeah, I guess it's the kind of thing where this is our last chance to say, maybe this goes a good buy low, maybe this goes a good sell high, and then next week we're going to have to, you know, leave that trope and use other verbiage when we're discussing hot and cold players. Uh, but yeah, it's a good point, Brian. Sometimes you have to make trades because if you're in like a league, especially like a league with draft picks, you know, like a keeper league, limited keeper, sometimes there's teams that are, you know, let's say you're doing well, you think like you're cruising, you think your team has a good shot, then all of a sudden your competition starts giving away all their picks for like superstar players. Then you have that like annoying feeling of like, ugh, do I I have to give away my picks just so I can keep up. Like it's very tricky, and it's happened in the league we're in together, Brian. Though you somehow are pulling off the miracle where you just you sold a bunch of your players for picks, and now your team's doing better than ever, and you might even land higher than me in the standings, which is very annoying for me. Yeah, we we decided John Newhold and I, tier one competitor John Newhold, we co-managed this team. Uh, two weeks ago, we decided to begin selling pieces, including Nazem Kadri, which was like the 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 big the big fish. From our team. Since then, we've traded away to Oliver Bjorkstrand, Jeremy Swayman, just to name but a couple. And uh, last week, we beat the top ranked team in the league. And this week, we have beat Dave Benton of the Stream Scheme, who uh, whose team name is All In for Spite. He made a late move to go All In. And unfortunately, in a key playoff matchup, we accidentally beat him. Uh-oh. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's good for you. There's a reason why you're the host of one of the best fantasy hockey podcasts out there. And now let's uh, learn all your secrets for how you've been so successful in that league and all your other leagues. So before we get to that, of course, let's mention that Keeping Carlson very proudly presented by DauberHockey.com, your number one fantasy hockey website out there. So it's a really cool site. 
we check it out all the time. You know, like I go there every day to read the articles, daily ramblings, you know, just like breakdowns of players. Plus the tools at Frozen Tools, like unmatched. They have a schedule tool where you can look at the schedule for the next month, all in this really easy to view place. Like invaluable. I have that on my phone, like just always bringing it up all the time when I'm trying to decide on an ad or a drop. So check it out, dauberhockey.com. But okay, Brian, with that, let's get into it. Like I said, we've got a lot of players who have been returning to their teams after long absences. And I just want to go through a bunch of them, figure out who we think are going to make big impacts, who should maybe be left in free agency, which players are going to be affected on their teams. Let's start in your hometown of Ottawa, where Josh Norris returned from his shoulder injury on Thursday for the Sens' 3-0 loss to Florida. Norris had like such a strong start to the season, right? He had 14 goals and 22 points in his first 26 games. Then he kind of started to slow down. He had a couple two-goal games, but nothing else in a stretch of like 10 games before going on the shelf at the end of January. Uh, and like I said, so no points against Florida. He did have a power play goal in that crazy 8-5 loss to the Coyotes on Saturday. And then Ottawa is playing today. As we are talking right now, they're just about to start a game versus the Vegas Golden Knights. So we'll see what Norris does there. Uh, looking at the lines, at first Norris was like playing on like the third line but that quickly changed and in yesterday's game and I think in today's game as well he was centering once again Brady Kachuk of course and Connor Brown and then to, to fill it out there Stutzla, Formanton, Gaudet oh Gaudet is back in the lineup I remember like I remember saw a lot of tweets when he first came in like I think he scored a goal or had an assist in his first game then went got sent to the minors and the fans were really mad anyway this is deep in Ottawa Twitter here that Brian makes me have to look at because he follows a bunch of Ottawa people from our Keeping Carl's Twitter account uh, there's also uh, Nick Paul Colin White and Zach Sanford that was the third line basically he's like a one line team at this point Oh, no, Stutzla's pretty good. And the top power play, by the way. So Norris right back up there as well with Kachuk, Stutzla, White, and Shabbat. So, Brian, moving forward, like I said, Norris, great start to the year. Pretty much a 70-point pace guy. Then he slowed down. Do you think now that he's back, we can just expect him to get back to rolling with Kachuk and be like this, you know, almost 70-point player? Well, Josh Norris already up playing with Kachuk and Brown. That's a good sign, right? That he's already there. There's no easing into the lineup. Josh Norris is all systems go, which is great because at the start of the season, Josh Norris was playing incredibly. He started the year on a run with 14 goals and eight assists for 22 points in 26 game, averaging three shots per game in that span. Then he followed that with just four goals and no assists in his next nine, taking just two shots a game before spending six weeks on the shelf. So we saw a really nice long stretch, then a bit of a slump, and now uh, a vacation, so to speak, that hopefully he's coming back rested and fully prepared from. I think Josh Norris is probably looking at a 60-point pace overall, which is what he was already on. Um, you know, his on-ice shooting percentage, I think, was high during that early run when he was putting up closer to a 70-point pace, and that's why I don't think that's sustainable. What I do like about Josh Norris, though, is that he takes three shots per game and seems like he might be a highly efficient shooter from the sample we have in his career so far. He has a near 20% shooting percentage this year. Sometimes when we see a forward do that, we're like, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna fall off a lot, but for him... Maybe it could hold, and it is kind of uncommon for guys who take as many shots as Josh Norris does to have such a high shooting percentage. Uh, another guy who comes to mind who manages that, a centerman who manages that, is Mark Scheifele. He's both a volume shooter and a high-end converter, and it'd be really nice to see Josh Norris around into having the same sort of shtick going for him, even if he might not be as, as raw talented as Mark Scheifele, that he could still do the same sort of shooting and scoring as Scheifele does. And Josh Norris has five shots in two games since returning at full speed. That's good. So yeah, I think from Norris, you can conservatively expect a 60-point pace the rest of the way. And I did say conservatively, because there is definitely reason to hope he can do 
better than that. But one big factor and whether he's going to do better than that is whatever is going to come from Brady Kachuk. The bigger question in Ottawa for me right now is, can Josh Norris please, please, please get Brady Kachuk going? Brady had 27 points in 33 games. That includes a slow start from when he was at, like just after Kachuk had been holding out to start the season, didn't have a contract, uh, then came in 27 points in 33 games. That's a 70 point pace before Josh Norris got injured. Since then, Kachuk has just 11 points in 18 games. That's a 50-point pace. That's barely fantasy-relevant. Thank goodness Brady still shoots a lot and throws some hits. That helps. But hey, it's not paying the bills for those of us who drafted Brady early on in the top three rounds of our drafts. Uh, you'll also recall, Elon, that like it's not that surprising that Brady's fallen off. I mean, we would have loved for him to do it all by himself, but he's missing Norris. And Drake Batherson was also injured at the same time. And since then... Brady's been playing with a whole mix uh, of guys and combinations of those guys, including Stutzla, Connor Brown, Tyler Ennis, Nick Paul, Adam Godet. So not exactly a murderer's row of line mates. And some of those guys, Brady Kachuk might have had to carry around a bit. So I'm really excited for Kachuk to have Norris back with him as a centerman. And of course, if Batson could get back to, that'd be really great. But we're not expecting that to happen anytime soon. For now, I'd love for Norris to get up and running. Uh, and to be fully ready. And I'd like him to help Kachuk do the same because it's been a really, really rough stretch for Brady Kachuk over the last almost 20 games now. I mean, I think that's a reasonable expectation, right? Like Brady was doing well when he had his star top liners with him and then they were gone and, you know, he wasn't able to carry these other guys. So yeah, maybe now's even a good time to knock on some Brady Kachuk doors before your fantasy playoffs, hoping that, you know, having Norris back will help. Uh, Yeah, I wanted to also mention Colin White. He's someone that is on this top power play with Kachuk, Norris, Stutzla, and Shabbat, like I mentioned. He was out all season with a shoulder injury until returning versus the Habs last week. He scored a goal in his return, uh, two points in four games now, taking a decent number of shots. He's available all over. Like, But at the same time, he's like Colin White. Like, I'm not expecting much. I'm just curious. Like, Is there any chance that Colin White is someone that anyone will ever be <laughs> thinking about? Like, well, is, there another ch- is there any chance that we're going to be talking about him on another episode of Keeping Carlson this season, or is this going to be the one and only time? Colin White is someone we last talked about in the preseason where I brought him up as I like to do. I like to bring up Colin White and I basically just say, hey, don't forget about Colin White. He might have a chance to play with Brady Kachuk. He might have a chance to play with Drake Batherson. He might have a chance to play with Tim Stutzla. Essentially, he's in the top six in Ottawa and he might have a chance to do something, which is the the Colin White story. He's someone who was on my watch list last week because I saw he was coming back. I, I meant to mention him. I forgot. So we'll see how things shake out here. I mean, you've got Tim Stutzla and Nick Paul who can both play center if we're trying to find room for Colin White in the top six. But now that Norris and Colin White are back, maybe Stutzla and Paul can shift to the wing. Chris Tierney's out for the moment. He's another center in the mix once he's healthy. But I assume Colin White starts higher in the lineup than Chris Tierney. You know, I think Ottawa is probably happy to try and roll a thin top nine with a very heavy top three. Uh, And imagine Colin White is going to be a center somewhere in there. I just, I don't expect huge things from Colin White, but he could make a decent stream. I've always felt there's some upside there, but not with a super high ceiling. But like I said, with Colin White, maybe there's a chance. Okay. 
I'm not like too excited, but he's someone I, I noticed him on the top power play. I wanted to bring him up. Sounds like you're even higher on him than me. Uh, since we're in Ottawa, let's just finish them off by going to the goaltending because uh, Matt Murray, uh, he had that awesome run after coming back from injury, but he's let in four plus goals now in three of his last four games, including that crazy eight goal against Demolition at the hands of Nick Schmaltz and the Coyotes. And don't worry, we'll talk about Schmaltz a little bit later on the show. Uh, meanwhile, Anton Forsberg has put up seven straight games with a save percentage over 900, six of them over 933. So like Anton Forsberg has been just golden for anyone who has streamed him in, but he might still be available free agency for you because, you know, Matt Murray's still been getting a decent number of starts. I wonder if potentially that's about to change. Like Forsberg's playing today against Vegas, so we'll see how he does. People listening will already know that result. But Brian, like if you had Matt Murray, is it time to like cut bait again, get on the Forsberg train? Like my thought on Matt Murray is that he's the kind of goalie that doesn't have the resilience. Like no offense, okay? Like I'm like whatever. I'm just saying like from my experience, like you know some goalies are known for like after a bad game, they like bounce back strong for the next game. My sense of Matt Murray is like when he has a bad game, then that like snowballs into more bad games and then he gets injured and then we forget about him for a while then he comes back from injury and is really good and the cycle repeats uh so i don't know i'm a little concerned about matt murray i don't know if i'd still be holding him in my leagues maybe you give him one more start but forsberg's just been so good that it's really hard to be depending on murray going into your fantasy playoffs well elon we're further ahead in that cycle than you just mentioned apparently shams in the chat has mentioned breaking news that matt murray was just put on ir like oh my as God. you were talking about <laughs> him so he's now injured which is great because that gives him a chance to collect his business and start the cycle and new okay but Forsberg that's huge for him right like everyone should go add Anton Forsberg now he's been so good and now he's the gonna be the volume starter probably yeah add Anton Forsberg I'll say for sure but he is also a bit of a dicey add and I expect Philip Gustafsson to see at least one start there's been a lot of talk that the, sh- the Sens are shopping Anton Forsberg and so maybe he's gone before too long the deadline in the NHL is less than what is it a couple weeks away so um, maybe a few starts for Forsberg, a start here and there for Gustafsson while Matt Murray's uh, on the shelf again. What a crazy season for Matt Murray. It's just been amazing how up and down. Like We talk about roller coaster guys. I think Matt Murray, we need a different, more extreme analogy. I, like, I don't know if there's a guy I've had stronger FOMO from. Like, I can't believe I didn't add him. He was right there for me. And... Jomo, the the joy of missing out from Matt Murray too. Like uh, I I I'm so glad I didn't have him, or I wish I didn't hold him. Like I, I I wish I missed out on all this crummy Matt Murray business. We've seen him fall into holes and not climb out. He landed in the AHL for Pete's sake. He got back up, played well. Now in trouble again, injured. So I guess we'll see. I if you're looking at the Ottawa goalies at this point, which I'm sure you might be, I don't think they're so different from like the Montreal or Arizona goalies at this point try him out very much at your own risk anything could happen but anything could be a good thing Uh, this is not helpful terribly helpful advice i know but anton forsberg has been inconsistent through his career has had his own ups and downs not as extreme as matt murray's Uh, there is like he can look like an nhl starter on any given night he can also look like barely a backup on other nights so go ahead and try out anton forsberg but Make sure it's just uh, with that risk acknowledged. Right, yeah, not saying he's going to be a guaranteed hold for the rest of the year, but if you need a goalie, you're heading into your fantasy playoffs, 
it's not a bad situation to be able to grab a hot goalie out of free agency who's now going to get the starting job. How about the nickname for Murray could be like a Titanic guy in that probably people were a little bit sad that they missed out on getting their ticket to the Titanic because it looked <laughs> like it was going to be a fun ride. And then we all know how that turned out. I love it. It's perfect. <laughs> all right. So let's stick in Canada. Go to some more outjuries now in Winnipeg, who's also actually playing right now. So we'll give an update there. They're playing the Rangers. But the Jets have gotten some reinforcements with both Nikolai Ehlers and Andrew Kopp returning from their respective injuries. Uh, they both slotted in on the third line with Adam Lowry, with the Wheeler, Shifley, Stasny, and the PLD, Connor, and Evgeny Svechnikov line staying intact for the 4-3 loss to Dallas on Friday. And I believe the lines are the same today against the Rangers. Ehlers also took his familiar spot on the second power play, along with Kopp. And hey, it wasn't so bad. They both assisted on Paul Stasny's power play goal in that uh, last game. Overall in the season, Ehlers sits at 26 points in 35 games now for a 61-point pace. So super, like way down from his 80-point pace from last year. I think we discussed this earlier on in the season, and you were just saying, yeah, he's not getting all the power play points. It was weird that he got all those power play points last year, and this year he wasn't able to do it, because at the end of the day, you can't expect a lot of power play points from a second power play guy. Uh, Looking at Andrew Kopp, he had that amazing start to the year, but then totally disappeared with only a goal in 10 games before missing time with a concussion. I believe... Okay, so it's 2-1 to one for the Rangers right now. I'm going to get you right up to the minute because, yeah, Ehlers has scored another power play goal or another power play point here. Power play goal from Ehlers, assisted by Kopp and Neil Pionk. So this second power play in Winnipeg is, like, more effective than the top power play over these last couple of games. So it becomes very interesting. Like, Brian, generally, I'm not too interested in, like, a line three power play two player. Like, that's like the definition of meh deployment but Ehlers and Cop together I don't know it's like seems like better like maybe it's not a line three maybe it's like a top nine as we like to say uh but and the second power play is clearly better than most second power plays there there's now it's a, their second goal in two straight games so what do you think about these two guys and their upside for the rest of the season well, for Nick Ehlers, you know, we've seen him produce from anywhere before. And the second power play unit, that's nothing new for him. But third line is definitely new for Nick Ehlers. I think it's going to be really hard for him. This is not a hot take for Nick, even Nick Ehlers to get up to a 70 or 80 point pace uh, from the third line, if not being bumped up to the top power play unit, which doesn't seem like it's going to happen imminently. It might be tempting to say it's a top nine in Winnipeg. And we'll have to see how like the the lines and time on ice from the next game shakes out. But from Friday, uh, the Pierre-Luc Dubois line saw 13 minutes of ice. The Mark Shifley line saw uh, just under 10 minutes. And the Adam Lowry line featuring Nick Ehlers had just under nine minutes of ice. So we'll keep an eye on things and, and the following Jets games to see if those second and third lines do share time a little bit more evenly than they have so far but yeah it's not looking good and honestly for as long as it's working i could see winnipeg keeping evgeny sveshnikov on the second line and try and use ehlers to have that more well-rounded depth in the top nine which is basically applying their power play two philosophy to nick ehlers five on five ice time now it's like hey well we have a guy he'd make our top power play better but it's really nice to have him anchoring a second unit and now it's like well we have a guy who'd be really good in the top six but you know where we could really use him on the third line Nick Ehlers is starting to feel like the the wing version of Ryan Nugent Hopkins with all of this unused uh, scoring potential just being sunk on the depth chart. I'm not sure. Um, Like, of course, trying to figure out the rest of the season, Winnipeg is all but certainly out of the playoffs. So that might factor into how they choose to deploy Ehlers and Sveshnikov. It's hard for me to see it really lasting that long to have Ehlers on the third line. So I would just be worried if you need some immediate production from Ehlers that you might not get it. And 
at the trade deadline. I mean, his value is not high right now, unfortunately, but he might be someone you try and move on from. Although the Jets do have some very good playoff schedules, depending on when your playoff weeks are. So that's something to keep in mind if you are looking to deal Nick Ehlers. And then for Andrew Kopp, uh, this is his second year in a row that his production from the second power play has been good which is a good thing because that's what's holding him in that 50 to 55 point range. Without that impressive second power play unit production, Andrew Kopp would not be in that 50 to 55 point range, you know, which is nothing, right? Good for Andrew Kopp, 50, 55 points, but doesn't mean he's guaranteed to be relevant on a regular basis. I would rather honestly shoot my shot on Evgeny Svechnikov. And if I lose, then I dump Svechnikov and try and find the next hot player who's recently entered a top six. Interesting. Yeah, I guess the thing with Cobb is he's playing with Ehlers. And like, I know what you're saying about Ehlers deployment, like isn't ideal, but he's still like such a good player, you know, like, well, Lewis was making fun of us on the last short shifts episode about how we were like too quick to kind of give up on Tyler Toffoli after he was like on the third You line. were, for the record. I, oh, d- I, I did not give up quite as easily as you did. <laughs> well, I, I was just saying I didn't like the deployment, but obviously I'm taking a lesson from this and I'm going to apply it to Ehlers here, right? I just think he's such a good player that it's hard to imagine. I know you were saying good reasons why. He, I think at the time with Toffoli also, I was saying, look, Calgary's just won their last like five games why would they change it and then they did and now Toffoli's on the top power playing doing well and I feel like Ehlers just is such a good player that I don't want to completely give up on him I do agree with you that maybe that upside for like 80 plus points is, is gonna be really hard to reach with the deployment here but I still think he's like talented enough to be like super like valuable in fantasy like definitely not someone to drop and not that you said that and for that reason I might like Andrew Kopp just because he gets to play with Ehlers also on this power play so yeah but Svechnikov I do want to say like let's give ourselves a pat on the back here we recommended Svechnikov last week saying that he was looking good on this Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor line. He had another two games and another three points since that uh, comment, and we'll see how he does today. Uh, But yeah, so you're saying Svechnikov over Kopp. I can see that going either way. And yeah, Ehlers, again, like not loving the deployment, but I still think the player's amazing. Yeah, I will say, like you... I, I agree with you that Ehlers, just because he's playing on the third line, or Kopp and Ehlers, you know, they're on the third line, but Nick Ehlers is still Nick Ehlers. But if they're still getting only third line minutes, that's going to hurt. Like this could have been a second line, right? And if they were getting second line minutes, I wouldn't be so worried, but I'm a little more worried that they're going to get oh, for sure. like fewer than nine minutes a game at even strength as a unit. Yeah, it's really t- like we have a tough job here, right? It's hard enough to make predictions when we at least have some base knowledge. Like if I know that this player is going to play this many minutes a game and it's going to play with these line mates, we can sort of start to come up with like an educated guess. But let's, in a situation like this, it's like we could tell you what's happening now, but I can't predict what uh, Winnipeg's going to do like moving forward. Like in any game, they could like switch things up. They could give that line more time. So it's really hard. Like like Ehlers is good enough that he deserves more time. So now it's just up to them to decide how they want to deploy their players. So, you know, it's a bit of like a... More more of a crapshoot than maybe some other players where we could be a little bit more confident about what's going to happen since it's like so much in the coach's hands. Uh, let's head to Philly next, where last week we talked about whether or not I made a mistake to drop line one Cam Atkinson, but uh, things have been shaken up now. So he's not even line one Cam At- Atkinson, though he did have a really good game in his last game. So I probably still did make a mistake, though he was just actually dropped by Ben in the couple. So I'll have to decide now if I want to put a fab bit on him or not. But anyways, I wanted to first talk about the outjury. So Kevin Hayes returned to the lineup and Derek Broussard returned to the lineup after missing a bunch of time with their respect hip injuries they were hip injury buddies and on Saturday versus Chicago they were both back and here were the lines for Philly they ran Giroux Scott Lawton and Travis Konechny 
So that right away, like people, I saw Lawton being added in like a bunch of my leagues. Uh, I guess they were excited about him on the top line. I don't think it worked out. He didn't get any points. Uh, then Brassard was playing on a line with Atkinson and Farabee. That line was the one that uh, did really well. And then Kevin Hayes, I guess, on the third line with JVR and Oscar Lindblom. And then the top power play was Giroud, JVR, Atkinson, Farabee, and Provorov. Uh, turns out moving away from the Giroud line was exactly what Cam Atkinson needed, right? Like after a couple of pointless games following his one goal, one assist outing versus Washington last weekend, Atkinson and company flourished versus Kevin Lankinen and the Hawks, which I do think is something that needs to be kept into account when you're looking at those results. Like Kevin Lankinen is not looking good. We'll talk about him in, in a sec. Uh, but yeah, Atkinson had two goals and an assist. Broussard scored a goal. Farabee had three assists. So that line definitely looked very interesting. Like I said, a bunch of people were jumping on Scott Lawton uh, after he scored a goal and assist versus Minnesota. Then it was announced he was going to play on the top line with Jeroen Konechny, but that line was quiet. Uh, for completion, Hayes got in on some offense. Uh, Oscar Lindblom scored a goal. Anyways, we're at a point now where a bunch of these top nine flyers are available to most people. Like people listening right now, they're like, why are you telling me about all these boring guys? Like any of these guys I'm talking about are probably available in your league, aside from like Giroux, Atkinson, and Provorov. All the other skaters are less than 50% rostered on Yahoo. So Brian, I was wondering if maybe we could just kind of quickly go through the remaining Flyers forwards. Give a quick, like I was going to ask you to rank them at first, but that would be annoying to rank like seven people. But maybe like just a quick heat check on who you're interested in looking at in free agency if you want to go for a Philadelphia player. They play four games next week for what it's worth. So, you know, you've got Konechny, Farabee, Lawton, JVR, Oscar Lindblom, Kevin Hayes, Remember when Kevin Hayes used to be like this valuable guy in fantasy? It feels like a long time ago. Anyways, Hayes and Derek Broussard. That's the list. If you want to just kind of go through each one and give a quick take on how interested you are in them. Okay, I'll start with Travis Konechny, who uh, was on a 60-point pace for a while. Four goals and 18 assists for 22 points in 31 games, including a seven-game point streak that ended and has now become a drought for Travis Konechny, where he's just a single point in four games. He's a decent guy, though. He's not super exciting, but 55 to 60 point pace the rest of the way with good deployment seems pretty reasonable for Travis Konechny. So he's the one who interests me the most of the lot. A name that I thought would contend a little more for being the most interesting of the lot to me is Joel Farabee, who had four shots in his return from injury, which was a high volume shooting we'd like to see from him. But Farabee now just has a single shot in each of his last two. But Farabee did have three assists on Saturday night. So who cares if he only took one shot? And I think I know why Joel Farabee took just one shot. It's because he was deferring to and setting up Cam Atkinson, who now is back taking shots. Again, 11 shots in his last three games. And I think that's credit to Atkinson, but also Joel Farabee. I like Farabee more when he's the one shooting, but if he can keep assisting on Cam Atkinson's shots and Atkinson is converting well enough, then Farabee could be good. Uh, but maybe he might not be good enough to really break through, which is something we were hoping to see this season, and we might not now. And that's okay. Farabee is still young. What is he, 22 years old? Uh, It would be nice for him to get going on his breakout ASAP, but if it doesn't happen because he's busy setting up Cam Atkinson and getting assists every so often, that's great. I can live with that. Uh, James Van Riemsdyk, no thanks. He's barely a streamer at this point. Sometimes useful in shots. Like if you're trying to fill the shots cat and you're at the bottom of the barrel, you could look at James Van Riemsdyk. Otherwise, you don't need to look at James Van Riemsdyk. 
Oscar Lindblom recently came off a decent little run where he had six points in seven games. There's not a lot to love outside of that, though. Like this Lindblom, JVR, Hayes line, decidedly a third line and really the least interesting unit in Philly to me. Any Philly line, the thing about Philly is like any line can do anything any game and it seems like they take turns getting hot. But more often than not from this line, it's been a whole lot of nothing. Uh, then you've got, uh, who do you have? Scott Lawton, who I was really interested in a couple weeks back when he had uh, a nice little run of eight points in six games, and he was taking uh, six shots, three shots through that run. Lately, uh, he's got a couple points in his last four, but he's stopped shooting uh, just six shots over Lawton's last five, so I'm not as into him as I was. But the ice time's still there, so he does interest me more than JVR and Lindblom. Uh, Kevin Hayes, I think I already commented on indirectly uh, as part of that line with JVR and Lindblom and Derek Broussard is someone who like, you know, every time I say there's no reason to be interested in him, he for some reason produces, but that's like, he's like the streamer that you add and he doesn't do anything for you. And then your opponent adds him for the next game. And like he wins the week for your opponent. He's, (laughs) he's oddly hitting right now. Um, which I'm pretty sure is a, I guess it's not that new in his career, but, uh, if you need a, couple hits and a couple shots and you need to like i feel like you could do better than any of these guys i think i think we're only mentioning brassard and hayes and Limblum and jvr because you asked me about philly in general i just don't see a whole lot of value uh, amongst these you know the non Giroux and atkinson forwards um outside of konechny and then maybe farabee and then maybe lawton Right, okay. And then I guess I will say, I'll throw in the maybe Broussard, just because if you're into Farabee and Atkinson, like, uh, you know, Broussard is there. He's on the line, too. But yeah, he'd be the third choice there, for sure. Uh, while we're here, Brian, Ivan Provorov is 59% rostered in Yahoo, but he hasn't earned it at all. Like, this is based on, like, maybe his draft position or how he did in previous years, because this year he's pretty much stunk. Uh, he's pointless in five games now, sitting at 19 points in 52 games on the season for a sad 30-point pace. He's back on the top power play, but he doesn't tend to hold that for too often, sometimes Keith Yandel gets a shot there, but it doesn't even matter. He's not getting points regardless. Like, how close to snoozer status are we at this point? We're going to the fantasy playoffs soon. People are holding on to Provorov. I'm not exactly sure why, but clearly because we've seen some upside, especially in a bangers league, that he can be a category filler and get you some points every once in a while. But, like, would you be holding on to him if you had him, or would you be looking to move on to someone else if you had some other defenseman that appealed to you in free agency? I'd... I I have Provrov in this league where we're accidentally winning our way into the playoffs. But one of the reasons we were outside looking in is because Provrov has not panned out at all this season. It's been an extremely painful year to roster Ivan Provorov, uh, only four power play points, despite seeing uh, almost half of Philly's power play minutes from the blue line. And that's the big problem for Provorov, really, keeping him from being, well, I, you know, you can't really even be more than a 40 point guy. At least that's about what we could reasonably hope for Provorov to be. And like you said, Elon, he hasn't even been that. Um, it's not all Provorov's fault. The Philadelphia power play has been woefully unsuccessful with Provorov on the ice and without. Do you know that the Flyers rank 30th in the league in power play conversion rate? They're converting on fewer than 14% of their opportunities. And the team, the Flyers have 22 power play goals through, what, 50-some games? This season, Provorov has been on the ice for just seven of those 22 power play goals, and he has points on four of them. So that's actually, like, way to go, Provorov. Uh, but also, 
what the heck? Like, <laughs> create more, maybe? I don't know exactly what the problem is in Philly, but the problem is definitely trickling into Provorov's numbers. Um, you know, he's even a borderline snoozer, even when things are going better. Uh, like like I said, 40, maybe 45 points is what you can expect from Provorov. And this year, actually, the cherry on top or the opposite of the cherry on top, shooting less at five on five this year to boot. So you're not even getting some great peripheral contributions. So I don't think there's any reason to keep holding Provorov. I'd rather swap him out for some kind of high upside player, like even someone on a random hot streak on the blue line. Uh, maybe Provorov can reset next year with more help uh, like a, a more healthy, I'm basically just saying with Ryan Ellis also there to help carry the load in Philly, but I'm not sure if or when I'm losing hope that Provov is ever going to break that 40 to fi- 45 point mold. Okay, yeah, I think I'm with you. I guess we'll see as we go through the show if we could come up with any other defenseman that might be available that you consider dropping Provorov for, but he's definitely been super disappointing. Brian, we still have outjuries in Chicago and Washington and a few other teams. We'll get to it all in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right, we are back. What an interesting set of advertisers we had on this episode. I'm just kidding. They're like dynamically inserted. You're all hearing different stuff. But anyways, okay, Brian, uh, let's go to some more outjuries here. On the other side of that Flyers game against Chicago, we had, yeah, the Chicago Blackhawks, who also had some reinforcements come in last week. Jonathan Taves returned from concussion protocol. Tyler Johnson, remember, he's on that team. He came back from his neck injury that kept him out for the last few months. Both uh, Jonathan Taves and Tyler Johnson have slotted in on the second line with Alex Dabrinkit for their two games back, which is like, you'd think a pretty good spot to land in, right? And so far, Dabrinkit scored an even-strength goal on Saturday, assisted by Taves, but that's all the production these two returning Hawks were able to manage so far. Uh, still, they get good deployment with Alex Dabrinkit. Tyler Johnson's even in seeing top power play time. Uh, so do you have any interest in either of these two returning Chicago Blackhawks, or am I taking this episode like off the rails with too much talk about like boring players like these Philly guys and now Jonathan Taves and Tyler Johnson? Like, normally it's good, right? You're playing with Dabrinkit, like, Tie Joe on the top power play, but at the same time, I just know that the answer is going to be to stay away. Yeah, stay away. We don't want to spend too much time on these guys. I've given up on both Taves and Tyler Johnson. You should too. To be honest, Johnson Taves missed seven games. I didn't even know he was injured. Uh, Both of these guys have had opportunities already. They've done little to nothing with them. Um, Sure, maybe one of them is going to prove me wrong now. Like that would be my luck, but. I really just don't see much much reason to hope for anything reasonably. Go ahead and and try and stream them if you think they're getting the right deployment and exposure. But yeah, it uh, I can tell you they're not guys who are going to appear on my fantasy roster any day soon, even if they are playing on a night when I have space and I'm looking to stream in a game. I will look elsewhere. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. The more interesting line, at least in Saturday's game and today's game for Chicago, was the Strom, Kubalik, and Patrick Kane line because Dylan Strom scored a pair of goals, one of which uh, Kubalik and Kane assisted on, the other was unassisted. And I see today versus Tampa, Strom has scored again, assisted by Debrinkin and Patrick Kane, which might mean that those lines have already shifted up. Let me just take a quick look here at Frozen Tools and see what the... So today we've got Kane, Strom, Kubalik. Oh, so just a coincidence. Taves, Tyler Johnson, Debrinkin still have been playing together for most of this game so far. But yeah, Dylan Strom, was, I feel like we talk about him every once in a while. He's playing with Kane, he scores some goals, we talk about him, then like, I don't know, he totally disappears, he falls off, and now I see he's a free agent and like a bunch of my leagues and he seems like he's in a good spot he's scoring goals should i be rushing and everyone else listening like should we all be going to get dylan strom again or is this kind of like a fool me once situation where it's like i don't know it's just it's an interesting spot and he's scoring against so it's hard not to be interested you know 
This is a fool me once situation. I mean, he scored. I, I love that he took six shots on Saturday night against Philadelphia, who are having their own kinds of problems. Like that was that was clearly a derby of terrible teams just trying to trying to do anything without you know, failing and falling on their face. So good for Dylan Strom for succeeding in that game. I don't expect him to do it regularly. Now three goals on his last eight shots. Um, But he's just coming off. Like you said, uh, like we talked about him not long ago, that four point game was just over a month ago now. And then he kept that up for a bit. Then he went quiet. Now he's coming back on again and he'll go quiet again. This is a, this is a classic up and down kind of guy who you can try and add and ride for as long as he's going well. But one point in a game for Dylan Strom to me means nothing for his chances of getting one in the next time. Of course, trying to grab the guy with Patrick Kane is generally a good fantasy strategy if you are looking to add a game into or a player into your lineup. But I really, you can tell, I, I have very little faith in Dylan Strom or any Chicago Blackhawk, but I do like him better than those other two guys that we just talked about. Yeah, I mean... I'm not going to like totally disagree with you. Like for sure. Like he's someone that I'm not, you know, it's like take with caution, you know, drop him if it doesn't work out, but like he's on top line, top power play with Patrick Kane. Like I feel like you probably could do worse. Like if you're looking for a center in free agency and he's out there, I think you, you give him a try, but I agree with you that it it could fall off or this could be the time where, you know, maybe he lasts there and and things go well for a little longer. Like it's a good spot to be in for sure. Uh, By the way, uh, Kevin Lankinen, he kind of sucks. eh? Like uh, I just traded for James Reimer in my dining league which has this rule where you could only have four healthy goalies maximum uh so i traded for rhymer even though i already had four healthy goalies my plan was i have sam montembeau on my team and i was thinking like okay i'll trade for rhymer and then when he comes back i'll drop montembeau but i also have kevin lankinen who i kind of thought would be my potential like long-term valuable goalie like last year he really broke out he was looking so good it looked like he might be the starter then of course chicago acquired mark andre fleury but there's like rumors that fleury might be traded so i was like, kind of excited that ooh, maybe i will have a starting goalie later this year or at least next year but the problem is he's not good he's like he lets in so every game he has more really bad starts according to frozen tools and i think he has wins like this guy just every game is terrible his loss to philly on saturday brought him to an 885 save percentage on the season yeah according to frozen tools three quality starts in 15 games i know brian you've talked about before about some goalies and you're like around 50 percent quality starts is like a little iffy because it's like a coin flip of whether they'll help you or hurt you What's three out of 15? That's like an almost sure thing that he's going to hurt you. So I don't know what Chicago is going to do if they trade Flurry, but, and I'd love for you to come on and tell me that Lankinen's just had some bad luck and actually he's playing better than an average goalie would against similar workload. But I have a feeling you're not going to say that. Like Chicago's a tough team to play for, but Lankinen's been so bad this year. He has been so bad this year, and Lankinen was also so bad last year. There was like an otherworldly run for Kevin Lankinen. He won me weeks and I looked back to last year and was shocked to see his great run was just 12 games. And then he came down to earth last season after those 12 games. There were a few bright spots in there, but he had an 899 in the 25 games that followed his really hot start. And Lankinen's now, as you mentioned, Elon, an 885 goalie in 14 games this year. Do the math. That's like, what, an 890? An 8- 95 goalie or something over his last 40 starts. It's hard to say that's accidental. 
right? I mean, he is playing for a tough team, but I, I went and checked the challenge that he faces in the Chicago crease, and he's still performing below the expected number, even accounting for how hard a job it can be to be the Chicago goaltender. So yeah, Kevin Lankinen, not looking good. In fact, he was like, he if he had made one fewer save, you were talking about his quality starts, Elon, he would have had one more really bad start, which is a start below 850. Then he would have total quality starts this year, but he put up an 852, narrowly avoiding uh, having four really bad starts to three quality starts. And a really bad start seems a lot harder to get than a quality start, but that's the sort of season Kevin Lankinen has had. That's the sort of career Kevin Lankinen has been having. I'd love for him to get a chance to reboot. He was having a really great time at the start of last season. It would be a shame if he peaked already, but I don't have a whole lot of faith the rest of the season. And to be honest, Chicago trades Marc-Andre Fleury. I don't think they care if he starts and loses every game for them because that'll help their lotto odds. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Maybe they could give some other goalie in the pipeline that they're more excited about a chance. A fancy tip is reminding me here in the chat. Yeah, it's true. I remember this stat. Like, Lankin in last year was really good, but a lot of those games were against Detroit where he was, like, shutting them out when they were, like, one of the worst teams in history. So, yeah, maybe he just wasn't even that great last year, but just had some good games against some easier competition. Uh, anyway, that's a shame. Speaking of goalies, let's go to one who definitely does not suck in Vitek Vanacek, who's been fantastic in his three games since returning from injury. He relieved Samsonov versus the Leafs, stopping 16 of 17 then he shut out the hurricanes and he stopped 29 of 31 in the win over seattle on saturday vanacek is now sitting at a 921 save percentage in 27 games on the season compare that to Ilya samsonov's 901 save percentage and it seems like vanacek should be primed to go on a run as the starter down the stretch uh, he's only rostered in 62 percent of yahoo leagues i'd definitely be jumping to grab vanacek now if i could or maybe if he's rostered, you could try to trade for him from a manager who still fears that Samsonov will challenge for starts at some point. Like, my thought is that it's Vanacek's net. But of course, there's two of us on this podcast. And I'm curious if you're going to try to convince me otherwise. I'm really high on him at the moment, though. You should be. Even though this is the third time at least that we've had this conversation about the Washington goalies this season with the names being switched back and forth, like Vanacek's holding it down, how Samsonov's been inconsistent, oh, Samsonov's doing really well, how's he going to see the net to Vanacek? Oh, look, Vanacek's doing well again, um, and that's where we are now. Uh, but Vanacek has actually been the one on top more often than not this season, and he has been actually good this season, putting up a 956 Fenwick save percentage at even strength compared to his expected number of 945. And that's a nice little gap, a really good gap, actually, between his expected and actual performance in the Washington net. And uh, I'll admit to when I looked that up to research the show today, I felt a little surprised to see Vanacek doing that well compared to his expected number, because last year he didn't do that. And he played more games last year, too. So a bigger sample where he struggled. This season, I like what I see. It is nice. He's clearly been better uh, more often than Ilya Samsonov, at least. Samsonov, talking about quality starts, which, by the way, Elon, I was thinking, I I think it's time to actually put more stock into quality starts when we do our Schmore Goalies Board rankings. Um, Because trying to predict exact goalie performance, of course, is really tough. But maybe it's just knowing what you're getting with a goalie is an underrated fantasy aspect. Like, would yeah, you sure. would you rather have a goalie, like, let's say who's a 915, but 50% quality starts? Or would you rather have a goalie who's a 910 save percentage with 60% quality starts? <laughs> Uh, but you're, you're, and you're talking like the same number of games played. Yeah. It's just like, so it's just like the variance of like nine ten 
pretty much solid across the board or you're jumping all over the place. Yeah. You know, I mean, on the weeks, it's like, I wish I could pick and choose. Like, I wish on the weeks where I'm already losing or winning by a lot, give me the bad starts and then give me those amazing starts for when, when I need, need them. them. That would be nice. <laughs> so like, oh, it's really tricky. You have to slot them in in the perfect spot. So yeah. at the end of the day, I want the goalie that's going to give me the most points. But it's a good question of do I want it consistently or inconsistently? I don't know, but it's definitely something that, yeah, let's bring that up as a, you know, another way that we can get more goalies board wrong yeah, next year by this exactly. time focusing on how consistent they are. Well, Sam Simonov, his quality starts have just been brutal. 16 quality starts in 46 starts over this season and last. So I'm, I'm counting Sam Simonov's year last year to 33% of Sam Simonov's have been quality which means the others haven't, and actually 20% of the rest have been really bad starts over his last 46. Nine out of 46 times, Samsonov has had a save percentage below 850. That's not good. That's not good at all. Uh, for all his pedigree, Samsonov really has yet to figure it out in the NHL, and I just, I kind of see Vanacek running unopposed right now, which we did say about Samsonov earlier this year, um, as I mentioned already, but here we are. The pendulum is swung again in Vanacek. It's his job to lose right now. We've seen consistency be an issue for him, but for now the net is his and it is nice that Samsonov is nowhere near putting up a challenge. So even if Vanacek does stumble, I wonder if Washington's like, we've tried Samsonov enough. We need to get Vanacek going if we want to have a chance to succeed. Yeah, I'm with you. Right now, it's definitely looking like Vanacek could run away with this thing. Of course, the other big outjury in Washington has been Anthony Mantha, who's been Pretty underwhelming, as Ben and Lewis discussed on Thursday. Pointless in two games since returning. Only three shots on goal over those two games. He's been playing with Backstrom and Oshie on the second line, seeing Paul Tree power play two deployment. Would it be crazy to already put Mantha at the same level as, like, say, an Evgeny Svechnikov? You know, like someone who, like, Svechnikov's interesting in free agency. Mantha, if I saw him in free agency, I'd be interested. But I feel like maybe even if you have Mantha and Svechnikov is out there, is that, like, maybe a swap that you make? Like, I'm just, like, not that interested in him. like, you know, we talked about Ehlers, like, line three, power play two. But, like, I'm still into him because I think he's, like, such a great player. Mantha, like, he's had really good runs, but a lot of them came, like, playing with Dylan Larkin or whatever in Detroit. Uh, but his deployment isn't that amazing. We're going to talk in a second about Nicholas Backstrom, who doesn't seem to be as appealing as he used to be. Or maybe it's just Backstrom doesn't have the players that he used to play with. Maybe Anthony Mantha isn't someone that could help Backstrom. I don't know whose fault it is, but neither of them is very interesting to me at the moment. But especially Anthony Mantha. I just wonder, like, how low should we put him? Like, if people drop him, are you jumping at him? Are you taking a look or are you just like ah, I'm gonna let him stay in free agency the second one and I think the Svechnikov comment was pretty apt it would be a game-by-game basis but right now I, I would prefer Evgeny Svechnikov over Anthony Mantha Mantha uh, you know his shot attempt rates the ones that excited us for his first few seasons in Detroit they haven't been seen since 2019-20 there's been a few seasons between then and now uh, like Mantha's shot rates don't get me wrong they're still decent but they're not where they were when we were like, oh, yeah, he's got to get more time. He's got to break out. Uh, but when the coach wasn't giving it to him, like Mantha's had a really weird kind of career trajectory so far where he was underused or it seemed for a while, even though we saw a lot of upside and potential. Then he briefly was able to cash in on that potential before being buried again, then traded to Washington like as a shocker and hasn't been able to find his footing. He really is like his numbers are about as confusing as his career trajectory so far. Mantis had a, a really mixed bag of results. I see red flags in his numbers mixed with some 
green flags, I guess, some decent signs. And there's also good variants and there's also bad variants mixing things up further to try and figure out what the heck to expect from Anthony Mantha. You know, he's he's not Ovechkin, of course, but he should benefit from playing with an elite setup guy like Backstrom. I wonder if one of the reasons he doesn't, and I know you you this is not your favorite discussion, Elon, but Anthony Mantha shoots left, Ovechkin shoots right. So maybe uh, he can't benefit from Backstrom's setups the same way Ovi could. Um, so yeah, it's not crazy to put Mantha with Svechnikov, but that's because also to me, I, I think there's a chance Svechnikov legit has talent. Um, but I think if you're looking to choose between the two, hot hand is a pretty decent way to approach it. I'm not about to jump at Mantha until he shows me something worth jumping at. And I'm just not sure that Mantha, who at one point might have been a tantalizing, oh, well, he's available. Maybe I could add him and just watch and see if something happens over the next few games. To me, it doesn't even really qualify for that right now with what we've seen so far. I like I don't know that Mantha is worth a speculative ad if you have to compete every night down the stretch. If you have a little bit more rope to work with and room in the standings, sure, maybe you could consider it, but he's not someone I think you have to rush out and get before he starts showing you a reason to go get him. Yeah, and it sounds like you're saying that Nicholas Backstrom is kind of like the Derek Zoolander. He can't pass right. He could only pass left. Uh, so that could definitely be a problem. And yeah, Backstrom also just... I don't know. Maybe he just doesn't have it as much anymore, right? You call him an elite distributor, but like he has been in his career, but everyone slows down at some point. I'm wondering if this is the year that like, Backstrom only has, well, he has three assists in the last four games, which is like even just getting excited about that is like shows you how uh, much we've like sort of fallen for Backstrom. He only has 17 points in 24 games overall. That's a 58 point pace. This is a guy who's never paced below 69 points in his whole career. So he right now is on pace to have his worst season by a lot. Uh, do you have any... Re- like, okay, obviously there's the possibility that Backstrom gets back and centers Ovechkin, and then all bets are off. But like, and we can't predict that, right? But it seems like Kuznetsov and Ovechkin are playing pretty well together, so I don't see a reason why Backstrom would get there. But like, assuming Backstrom sticks on this line with Oshi and Mantha, do you see any reason why we can expect Backstrom to kind of get back to being that 70-ish point guy? Or do you think maybe this is the new Backstrom right now and he's closer to a 60-point guy? Like, right now, like, to me, the guy he reminds me of as an assist-heavy, low-shooting, 60-ish point player is kind of like a Rob Thomas. And maybe, I don't know, maybe Rob Thomas even has a higher ceiling because he's been more like a 70-point player. But that's what I kind of see him as. So if, like, Rob Thomas is in free agency and Nicholas Backstrom is, like, on your roster, I just wonder if maybe you have to reconsider if, like, Backstrom is someone you need to hold in, like, a shallower league. It's a really good question. And so if we're if we're just looking at what Backstrom's doing, assuming he stays on the second line, then we're just basically saying, thank goodness that Backstrom's still on the top power play, where he has eight power play points in 24 games, pacing for 27 for the season. And that's the only way that Nick Backstrom is assured relevance with Kuznetsov on the top line and with the play style he has, as you mentioned, Elon. It's unfortunate that Washington, they seem to have the pieces. Oshi, Backstrom, Mantha, you'd think that that might add up to a productive second line, but they just have not been able to get a second line going for Washington. And I totally agree with you. The way that Backstrom contributes isn't awesome. He never has been, which is why in leagues with a lot of categories or or a point setup that is beyond just straight up points only, um, it's why Backstrom is, through his career, usually drafted after guys who pick up fewer points than he does in a season. Uh, there are a lot of formats where Backstrom's, you know, 80 points never really held up to guys who are putting up even 65 or 70. I still think there's a chance things can get better for Backstrom, but there's really not a ton of room to grow unless he does start clicking more with a non-OV line mate. 
And that's why I would uh, I would be evaluating how much you want him on your roster if you are in a league where uh, the the type of categories he fills aren't doing a whole lot for you. Because as long as he's on that second line, I, I just don't see a lot of hope there right now. Yeah, like obviously, like not nothing. He's still going to get you some points, but you know he's not going to be dishing to Ovi and scoring, like, you know, and Ovi scoring like two times a game. Uh, let's switch over now to a team that Vanacek and Mantha beat on Saturday over in Seattle. By the way, Fantasy Tidbits brought up a good point about Seattle, how they uh, took Vanacek in the expansion draft. I feel like people always forget that. I sometimes forget that. They had Vanacek, they had him, and then they decided to get rid of him for nothing, and they stuck with Grubauer and Driedger, who have turned out to be such busts. Such a weird... We're going to look back. Everyone's going to probably look back at least this summer, but that is going to be one of the weirdest expansion drafts, I think. Like, I I don't know what happened. I don't know what the miscalculation was, because at this point, it seems safe to say there there were several miscalculations uh, on Seattle's part. But I just don't know what happened. Remember, like they had Vladimir Tarasenko on the table. I mean, who knows what happened in the back rooms, but they picked several guys who they then waived or sent back to their like Gavin Bayreuther in Columbus back with his team already uh just very like and who is gavin bayreuther anyway but just a super bizarre sequence of events for all of the seattle business yeah but honestly brian i think i've heard discussion that like uh if seattle was getting average goaltending they'd like be a lot better like people wouldn't be talking about this draft as being so terrible and and the one thing people weren't really questioning was the goaltending i think people thought that grubauer and driedger would be this like super effective goalie tandem maybe one of the top goalie tandems in the league and now they've turned out to be like one of the worst so it's kind of interesting like it's kind of hard to judge like because a team could just get sunk like these goalies have been terrible for them they could have had vanacek oh well but anyways i wanted to go to seattle to talk about some outjuries which will maybe help them get better because they've just seen jared mccann and jaden schwartz return to their lineup uh they returned with minimal success in a 5-2 loss to washington both got right back on the top power play but neither hit the score sheet uh the lines were mccann yarn and eberly and then schwartz with wenberg and marjo marcus johansson uh, i think that seattle's also playing today yeah so what is it 2-2 let's see what's your bet brian does schwartz or mccann have a point what do you think tonight yeah what's your guess um yes i'm looking it up no the answer is no. So Wenberg <laughs> scored from Gordon Yarncroft and Yarncroft from Adam Larson. Oh, Adam Larson with the point. That's rare. Uh, so, yeah, I just feel like it's too bad. Like, McCann's been having a pretty good season, right? Overall, he sits at 33 points in 49 games going into today's game. That's a 55-point pace. Uh, 21 goals, by the way. So, you know, a lot of those points have come from goals. Jaden Schwartz, a much more assist-heavy 20 points in 30 games, which is also a 55-point pace. Should we just expect these guys to continue to be 55-ish point pace guys moving forward? Or are you thinking that it's going to be lower or higher? Like, how much excitement should people have if these guys are available in free agency? Average amount of excitement. Actually, I traded Eberly for Granlund uh, maybe a month or a little more ago. And uh, Granlund and Eberly, we, we, the manager I traded with, we both dropped them on essentially the same day. Uh, and Eberly's already been added back. Granlund, not yet. I think he's still on waivers. Anyway, boring. Uh, I, I don't I don't get too excited about either one of them. I think they're okay 55-point guys. We've brought them up a lot on the show this year. And I think the reason I just called them boring is because every time I have nothing different or new, or interesting, or exciting to say. Like, Elon, when you name a player, my job is to dig and find something cool to say about that player, or interesting, and something new that makes you go, hmm, there's nothing to say about really any of these guys in Seattle. They are, eh. 
There's uh, there's no reason to expect them to do much better or much worse than they've already been doing. And I did check out that goaltending um, theory. And like, yeah, uh, the Seattle goalies have combined to have the worst five on five save percentage in the league this season. And then if you look at their expected share of goals based on how they're playing and how they're defending, the shots they're taking, the shots they're allowing, uh, they're like mid-pack. So they still probably wouldn't be as good as I think a lot of people thought they were going to be coming out of that expansion draft. But uh, yeah, they'd be at least better than they are now. I mean, middle of the pack is like playoff team, right? Like more than half the teams in the NHL make the playoffs. So they're actually like just below the middle of the pack. Okay, yeah, so they'd be maybe in the conversation, which clearly yeah. isn't the case. Oh, well. Uh, finally, over in Columbus, let's do one last outro here, and that's Zach Wierenski, who returned from his week hiatus to play on Friday and Saturday. Apologies to everyone who jumped on Adam Boakvist. As we brought up, you know, Boakvist might be getting on the top power play, might be interesting. He did nothing, then he got hurt. So, you know, forget that guy. But Zach Wierenski, don't forget that guy, because he picked up right where he left off. He took five shots versus LA on Friday, another four shots versus Boston on Saturday, and he buried one of those shots on the power play. Wierenski now sits at nine goals and 34 points in 50 games. It's a 56-point pace, which would be a career high if he keeps it up the rest of the way. Also is 3.2 shots per game. That's good for fourth in the league for a defenseman. He's only behind Roman Yosi, Dougie Hamilton, and Darnell Nurse for shots per game. So this is a high-volume shooting defenseman who's also picking up a good number of points. Do we have any reason not to expect Wierenski to keep this amazing season up? Just a reminder, this guy's only 24 years old. He may still have his best years ahead of him. I feel like, you know, we have so many conversations about the top defenseman in the league and I feel like Wierenski might be a little underrated maybe just because he's in Columbus or maybe it's just me maybe other people are talking highly of him but I don't think of him as often as I feel like I should because anytime I look at his numbers I'm like man this guy has like Roman Yosi upside in the cards like high volume shooter lots of points he's looking really good and he's so young I'm glad you brought up Zach Wierenski Elon because I-, I think we are in danger of taking him for granted we did recognize him earlier this season as being a really legit fantasy option. And I'm here to just remind everyone that he is a really, really legit fantasy option. This year, Wierenski is shooting more. Like you said, Elon, he's actually seeing his highest shot attempt rates of his career after posing the lowest shot attempt rates of his career last season. Last season was a total curveball for Wierenski because the one before it, he was on a 53-point pace. Then he went down to a 47-point pace. This year, Wierenski's back up to a 56-point pace. And I think that's reasonable for him going forward. One thing contributing to that, and that's also been up and down lately, his power play production. Zach Wierenski putting up the best power play production of his career this year had the worst power play production of his career last year. So uh, had to hit rock bottom to bounce all the way back up. Zach Wierenski is just on fire here. You mentioned his shots per game numbers ranked fourth in the league amongst defensemen. Elon, if you look at a whole lot of other things, Wierenski's at the top ranks of a lot of things. He's playing more than 20 minutes a night at five on five, 26 minutes a night in all situations where he ranks third in the league in ice time. Wierenski also ranks fifth in the league in shot rates in all situations, 10th in the league in shot attempts in all situations. Here's a cool one. Zach Wierenski records nearly one expected goal per 60 minutes on the power play. That is rare for a defenseman. That just means he shoots a lot and he shoots dangerously. And that shows when Wierenski has scored four times on 29 shots on the power play. Uh, He's in the top 10 for defensemen in expected goals rates on the power play. Uh, Wierenski, there's so much to like here. He's offensive. He plays a lot. I I like everything I'm seeing. Uh, And my only question is whether we're seeing 
um, something that Wierenski can do and can just keep sustaining, or if there's another gear beyond this, right? That's the next question. It's like, okay, we can see Wierenski can sustainably do this. As you said, he's 24 years old. Can he go beyond? That's that's us, right? We're always getting greedy. We want more. So I think you can count on Wierenski for 55 points, and we can watch for more. But I think one thing holding him back is uh, he's obviously dependent on Columbus's play style, which has always had limited offensive opportunities while Wierenski has been with the Blue Jackets. So I actually don't think it's his own ability keeping him from being a 60-point player. I think it's the team he plays for. So he'll be a really fun guy to watch over the course of the next few years to just see how much he can break out, especially if he does switch teams or if his team switches the style they play. Okay, yeah, Wierenski, super interesting. I remember when he first broke out as a rookie, he looked really good. Then I think he had like a bit of a down year. And ever since then, yeah, I guess it just hasn't been getting the fanfare that he deserves. But I love all of these shots from him. Really exciting. I was comparing him to Roman Yosi, who, to be honest, I feel like also is a guy we haven't maybe given enough credit to for the insane season that he's having. He had four assists versus that ridiculously bad Stalock and Sachenko Sharks tandem on Saturday. And that brought Roman Yosi to 59 points in 53 games. That's a 91-point pace for Roman Yosi when I just said that is Wierenski maybe like a Yosi let me also ask is Roman Yosi kind of like as good as Kale McCarr at least for now like I feel like people are talking about McCarr as like a potential top five to seven pick in fantasy next season and, and like definitely McCarr is amazing and there's a reason why that conversation is happening and it's been really interesting to talk about like how high do you draft a defense from like McCarr next season but I wonder if when people have this conversation it's almost like disrespecting Roman Yosi who like you could probably get a round or more later like get him at the end of the second round or mid second round Maybe, you know, grab, uh, I don't know, Ovi when you have seventh overall pick and then hope to get Roman Yosi on the way back. And that's maybe maybe better than getting Makar and then, I don't know, whatever, Jack Hughes, which is also still really good. I mean, there's a lot of good players in the league, so you're going to get good players in your first two picks. But I just wonder, like, is what Roman Yosi doing for real? Because right now he's, like, above a point per game. It's looking fantastic. And, you know, he also was amazing a couple seasons ago when he won the Norris. So I'm just curious if you think this is sustainable for the rest of the way. I don't want to take anything away by saying what Riozzi's doing isn't quite sustainable, but he definitely has a superstar offensive pace that is sustainable, Roman Yosi, this season. I think we've given him some love on a patron cast because I couldn't find the last time we talked about him, but maybe another guy that we're taking for granted. And these are the guys it's always good to make sure we bring up every once in a while. Roman Yosi has just been awesome. 25 power play points already. That's a career high for Roman Yosi, reached in just 53 games. That means Yosi's pacing for nearly 40 power play points. He's just a crazy power play performance. He's actually, as a defenseman, I talked about how Zach Wierenski's expected goals rates as a defenseman on the power play were unusual to have as many expected goals as he had. Uh, Yosi is even more unusual because he has an 80% points participation rate on that Nashville power play and expected goals rates that are even higher than Zach Wierenski. He's about 25% higher than Wierenski. And Yosi's also shooting 17%. He's just wrecking things out there with the man advantage. So maybe some of this is going to regress. But that power play, he is like the the blood, what do you call it? The lifeblood of that power play. And he deserves a lot of the points he's had. What an insane season Roman Yosi's having. And good for you if you were able to get him in a year that I think, like you mentioned, and everyone's excited about Kale McCarr and Adam Fox and Dougie Hamilton in New Jersey. I think we all got just a little kind of used to Roman Yosi as a guy. Yeah, you take him early on, but maybe someone more exciting will come along. This year, Roman Yosi is the someone more exciting. 
yeah, just a fantastic season for him. Uh, some quick updates on some things we've talked about already on the show. Uh, so Anton Forsberg is having a really good game against Vegas for what it's worth. Just more reason for me to be like excited about him and to re- recommend. I already checked in my leagues and he's taken for it, but I would recommend for people to go get Anton Forsberg if you can. Like Ottawa's losing, but uh, he's he's doing really well so far. He's facing a lot of shots. Also, uh, Chicago really stinks. Tampa's up six to three, but Dylan Strom got another point. So I'm like even more interested in him. I know Brian, you're still like thinking, and it's true, like Dylan Strom for sure, like could slow down at any point, but he's in a good spot, right? You got another point. Uh, so I'm into him. And by the way, uh, Mark Hunchy are doing badly so maybe we'll see Lankin in again he could do badly as well it's always fun to give these mid-game updates but okay let's move on now from this actually no so we were on this tangent with Roman Yosi when we were originally talking about Zach Wierenski's uh out jury and now I was talking about how Roman Yosi had those four assists versus that bad Sharks tandem so I did want to look at the Sharks because yeah James Reimer is on the IR Aiden Hill is still injured he practiced and then like apparently like didn't go well I'm not sure he might be back next week maybe not but I really have no confidence in Alex Stalock and this Sachenko character. So, uh, well, actually, Chicago or San Jose is playing right now. I could even give an update there. Uh, and oh, they're winning two to one against. Well, it's against Anaheim, so whatever. Even if Sachenko is having a good game, it's not against the toughest competition. Anyway, all this to say, if Aiden Hill's available in your league, like he was available in the couple for me, and I needed to make an ad, and I had an extra move available, so I just first stashed Aiden Hill in my IR. I'm not like super excited about him. I don't think he's going to be like amazing, but I think that if Reimer is out, then Aiden Hill could be the volume goalie that James Reimer was, which ended up leading to him getting injured potentially. But uh, if you need a volume goalie and you want to take a shot on someone that you could just stash for now and see if he comes back healthy. I don't know. He's someone to take a look at because he might be back soon. Who knows? Maybe Eric Carlson, who's, by the way, supposed to return on Thursday, maybe his return will help make life slightly easier for a Sharks goaltender, which would be Aiden Hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, that, that's, uh, sorry, that's my level of excitement for Aiden Hill. I feel like I'm seeing a lot of guys, I'm either like, so exciting, this is awesome, or boring. I'll try and find the middle ground a little more through the rest of the show. But Hill, he's basically performed continuously below the level of an NHL starting goalie. So uh, he could do okay, could go on a run. I wouldn't hang my hat on it. Uh, San Jose may be okay with that. They're in a situation where they're okay losing games as they free fall out of the playoff race, potentially. Uh, They've won two in regulation. No, they've won two, period, in their last 10. So it's been a rough run for San Jose. And I think James Reimer was was doing good work there. So we'll see if Aiden Hill can step in and do well. Elon, I don't even think it's a guarantee that he's the volume starter, to be honest. I wonder if the, the Sharks are actually more interested in seeing what they have in Sachenko with this opportunity they have to get him a couple starts. So uh, again, same thing as Forsberg. This could go well, it could not. If I had to pick, though, I would pick Forsberg over Aiden Hill. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, also Forsberg's actually healthy. And Aiden Hill, we don't even know if he's going to come back. I don't think that they're too interested in Sachenko. Like, they literally didn't play. They ran James Reimer into the ground, even giving him back-to-backs, because they didn't want to give Sachenko a start, uh, for whatever that's worth. Uh, more in-game updates related to things we talked about earlier. Brady Kachuk just scored, Brian. Look at that. Uh, but it wasn't because of Josh Norris, at least on the score sheet, assisted by Colin White, who we also talked about, and Tim Stutzla. So Colin White, there you go. We told you, if he's on the top power play... Not a bad spot. It's still not super exciting, but, you know, where there's a power play assist for you. Yeah, yeah. Just wanted to point out the goal did come on the power play. So good call mentioning Colin White in the top unit, paying off for anybody who added him during the show after the game had already started. 
<laughs> Here's the thing. Like, I just want people listening to realize that the things we said came, like, at the time that we said them, like, how I predicted that Matt Murray was going to get injured before he actually went on to the IR, which is still kind of crazy. But honestly, not that hard to do, probably. You just have to every day say that Matt Murray's probably going to get injured, and eventually you'll get it right after a couple of weeks. Uh, okay, let's move on now to end the show by talking about some interesting line combos that have been going on in the league. Uh, you know, we're late into the season. A lot of teams have kind of cemented what they're doing. But there's a few teams that have been shaking things up lately. And starting in Toronto, they've been shaking things up a lot, of course. But we've got a new player playing with Tavares and Nylander in the last couple of games. That's Nick Robertson, who was called up from the minors, got placed into that pretty sweet spot on the second line, and he scored a goal in his fourth game of the season versus Vancouver on Saturday. Of course, the Leafs lost that game 6-4, to four, and I see Kerfoot also spent some time with Tavares and Nylander at some point in the game, so maybe they went into a line blender, maybe things change for the next game. But assuming you're following at Game Day Lines on Twitter and you see before the next game that Nick Robertson is still on that second line with Tavares and Nylander, uh, is that someone that you would be interested in streaming? Or do you think he's just 20 years old, even if he's in that spot? There's no reason to expect him to do anything aside from, you know, like maybe like Colin White level of excitement. Yeah, I'll actually just say like Alex Kerfoot level of excitement for Nick Robertson. You know, look for him if he's in the top six. Even in there, though, he's no sure thing. And Nick Robertson has yet to see even 12 minutes in a game. So, you know, you don't have to rush out and go grab Nick Robertson. I feel like Maybe it's even more likely he could play with someone like Jason Spezza in the bottom six, and they could have a little bit of fun together. But Robertson, at least, is developing. 24 points in 30 AHL games over this season and last. He's missed a lot of time, uh, but eight points in nine AHL games so far this season, and now getting a look in the top six, which is uh, nice. It'd be nice to have someone better than Alex Kerfoot to step into the top six. You know, someone like Michael Bunting is doing on the top line. I want someone like that on the second line. And maybe Nick Robertson will one day fit that bill. Okay, yeah. Uh, and by the way, still in Toronto, Jack Campbell's struggles continue. His five goals against versus the Canucks was his fourth straight game, letting in four or five goals. Brian, you tweeted on Friday about how John Gibson has also failed to get out of his funk. Uh, and now actually I'm seeing that John Gibson is injured. So maybe this question will become a little less relevant. But uh, yeah, I'm just, I was just kind of curious to get your take. Like, Who's more likely to get their stuff together between Jack Campbell and John Gibson. Well, you know, I have no answer for that. Jack Campbell like seems like such a sweet, sincere guy. I think I saw a quote. I like I, I have to say I think because it's something I don't know that I've ever seen a goalie or NHL player, maybe athlete say, but he's like, I'm really sorry. Like I, I promise everybody I'm gonna find my way out of this, which does track with the sort of personality we've seen from Jack Campbell and I love it. So I'm rooting for both of them, uh, but I you know, you're asking me to predict. I have Elon. Come on. Come on. How, I don't know. Who do you think? Uh, I would probably bank on Campbell before Gibson. Gibson just always falls off. I know that yeah. like generally he bounces back <laughs> going on this whole thing of like he's bad in February and usually goes does a little better in March and April. Uh, but Anaheim not looking great. And like, honestly, like, yeah, we just talked about how like people should maybe rush to grab Anton Forsberg with Matt Murray injured. Now John Gibson is injured. I don't really think I want to tell people to rush to grab uh, Anthony Stolarz over in Anaheim. Like, oh, I just, uh, that team isn't that exciting anymore. I like Anthony Stolarz. Like, I, you know, I, I look back to that moment that he had on the Oilers roster and they never, like, actually tried him. Like, they traded for him. I think it was Edmonton not long ago. But Stolarz has looked pretty good limited time in the last couple seasons. But if Gibson's injured, I'm actually pretty interested in Anthony Stolarz if he gets a little run 917 in 18 appearances so far this year last year 926 in eight appearances this is a guy who's never had a, a sustained look 
playing at the NHL level, but I think there is some possibility that he could still be uh, a legit netminder. He's 28 years old, which is, of course, when every NHL goalie gets their first chance. So it'd be nice. I'd actually be really curious to see Stolarz get a little run here. Okay, so who would you take, Stolarz or Forsberg, if you need a goalie and both are available right now? Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, If I knew that both were going to play the same number of games, can I do that? I guess. Like, so, yeah, let's both say, let's agree. Because like, Gibson, I feel like, uh, is just day to day. But we don't know yet. This is like Sunday night. Maybe we'll get bigger of an update. So, sure. Assuming that they're going to both uh, say this, play the same number of games. Though, in reality, we know that Matt Murray is going to miss time because that's easy. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. So, like, in reality, I'd go Forsberg because I think it's going to be uh, a longer time that Matt Murray's out than John Gibson. But if I knew that each was going to play the same amount, I think I might go Anthony Solars. Like, this is just my curiosity, maybe. But it sounds like you would go Forsberg. I think so. Like, uh, but yeah, let us know what you think on Twitter. At, at Kevin Carlson, tweet uh, at hashtag Team Solars or hashtag Team Forsberg. I guess we'll see uh, what the listeners think. Uh, so let's go to Detroit. Now, this line combination has actually been what they've been doing for a while now. But I just don't think we've talked about how Tyler Bertuzzi has been on the second line away from Larkin and Lucas Raymond for a while now. And in Saturday's 6-2 to loss to Florida, Bertuzzi was joined on that second line. Uh, so he's been playing with Robbie Fabry, but this time it was Joe Valeno joining Bertuzzi on that line with Fabry. And uh, Bertuzzi just continued to produce, right? Like Even though he's on the second line and not the top line, he does have points in three straight games. And on the season, Bertuzzi has 47 points in 48 games. But still, you know, I'd assume line two is not an amazing spot to be in. So I'm curious if you think that we should assume Bertuzzi's point pace will like drop before the season is said and done. Or is he just like so good that he could sustain a near point per game pace even if he's playing with Robbie Fabry instead of Dylan Larkin. This is a weird situation, I have to say. Tyler Bertuzzi has uh, 16 points in about 17 games since being moved off of the top line, and they're not all coming on the power play or anything. Three power play points, one shorthanded point, but still some very healthy, uh, even strength production from Tyler Bertuzzi away from Larkin and Raymond on the top line. And what's really weird about this is that it seems to be a situation where Everyone is suffering in terms of the the numbers that I look at to sort of judge the under the hood offensive input and not just looking at goals. Larkin is playing worse without Bertuzzi on the top line. So is Raymond. And guess what? Robbie Fabry also doing worse playing with Tyler Bertuzzi on the second line. Tyler Bertuzzi himself looks worse under the hood too, but everybody on the score sheet just keeps chugging along. So I'm not sure what to say here. There seems to be no apparent chemistry for Bertuzzi on the second line. And on ice performance, like I'm saying, is clearly worse for everyone in the top six in this configuration. But goals and points are still being scored. So who cares, right? There may be a run of some luck going on. That's my best shot at explaining this. Detroit is shooting 11% over this run while Bertuzzi's been on the second line. And 11% is about where teams top off on shooting percentage and is a couple percentage points higher than Detroit had been shooting all season up until that point. So if shooting luck does run out for the team, then uh, things could be laid bare here. Um, We could actually see the struggles that appear to be happening under the hood in both top six lines in Detroit with Bertuzzi not with the top group. Um, 
and as for like, you know, we always try and give some kind of actionable item. I'm not sure if there's an actionable item here, except to say, hey, if team shooting regresses, then maybe Bertuzzi just goes back to the top line and it's not a big deal. Um, it, it's an interesting situation to notice and know about, at least, but I'm not sure there's a whole lot you can do about it as Detroit continues to succeed in putting pucks on net, even when it seems like everyone's performing just a little bit worse since Bertuzzi left the top line. Okay, well, it sounds like the actionable item is hold on to Bertuzzi because he's doing well in the second line, even though maybe he shouldn't. And like you said, if for some reason they cool off, maybe they'll switch things up again and things will only get better for him. So yeah, maybe he's going to continue this amazing, I don't know, I guess you call it a breakout season, right? Point per game is definitely nothing we've seen from Bertuzzi before. So great for him. Uh, and Robbie Fabry, like he's in a pretty good spot, right? So he's on the second line with Bertuzzi, even though you say maybe they're not clicking so well, but he's also been on the top power play. He's only taken in 6% of leagues on Yahoo, even though he's on a pretty strong under the radar run like Fabri has scored in each of his last couple of games that brings him to seven points in his last nine games uh, we've talked about some other guys like all those flyers you know like uh Brassard and Farabee like these types of guys uh, we've talked about Schwartz and McCann Anthony Mantha Evgeny Svechnikov where does Fabri slot in with that group does he like fit in nicely is he well above like well below what do you think I think he's probably right in the middle I, I would prefer Schwartz and McCann and Svechnikov to Fabry. I'd probably have him above Mantha, though. I streamed Fabry in a ton earlier this year in a number of leagues. He rarely paid off for me. Occasionally he did, but mostly rarely. And uh, he has been on a run lately. 14 points in his last 18 games, taking two shots per game. But like I said, he's actually playing worse since he was joined by Tyler Bertuzzi. So I'm not sure. Although that also... Worse, quote unquote, because it's compared to his time without Bertuzzi, which was occasionally spent with Dylan Larkin, which would go better. Uh, Fabry's been all over the lineup this season. Anyway, I ranked him amongst those guys, and I hope that gives you a good idea of where I see Fabry at this moment. Yeah, I just want people to know, like, he's 6% rostered. I think he deserves to be higher. Like, I'm not saying he's a superstar or anything, but he's in a good spot and he's producing right now. So if you're in a deep league and Fabry's out there, take a look. Adam sure watch this at the very least. Uh, the funny thing is we've been talking about Detroit and talking about how this, like, top line and Bertuzzi's been off of that line. We haven't even mentioned the person who's there because it really doesn't matter. Like, I'll tell you who it is. It's Vladislav Nemesnikov. But don't worry about it, because he's probably one of the least appealing line one players in the league right now to me. He's pointless in six, doesn't see any power play time. Like, there's no chance. You can just answer with one word and we can move on. Uh, there's no chance you're into Nemesnikov, right? No. Okay. Uh, on the other side of the spectrum of third wheel top liners, and I put this in quotes because it's kind of mean. I mean, Nemestikov I'd for sure call a third wheel, but this next guy, maybe not. I don't know. But someone who's definitely turning heads is the newest member of the Florida top line with Barkov and Verhage, and that's Mason Marchment, who scored again on Saturday versus Detroit, bringing himself to 31 points in 30 games on the season. We're like, we're at like... Uh, more than a third of the way through a season in terms of like the number of games, 30 games for Mason Marchment, and he's above a point per game. Most of the time he's been in the bottom six. Now he's even more appealing because he's playing with Barkov. Like even back when he had that crazy two goal four assist game versus Columbus, I feel like I was even like saying, yeah, I mean, great. Like he obviously has some talent, but I don't expect him to be like this huge factor, like a must hold like rest of the year uh, just because of that deployment. But now he seems to be clicking with Barkov. Like, is this like a 
guy who like you definitely have to go grab at this point if he's somehow still available. Like, I'm seeing he's only 26% rostered on Yahoo, which seems like crazy to me, like a point per game guy that's now on the top line. Like I, I can't imagine these leagues. Though I that, that said, like I myself, <laughs> I don't know if I would have added him in some of my leagues where my roster is pretty full and I like to you know generally have players that are in the top six. But now that he is there, like how could you not want Mason Marchment, right? Exactly. And this is actually a very, very similar story to Anthony Duclair earlier this year who got crazy hot and there was no reason why he should have kept it up, but he did. And every time you think, well, it's not sustainable, so I'm just going to let him go. He hits you with another amazing game and helps your fantasy team. So this time, actually, I had Duclair. If you've been listening to the show all season, I, I had to Duclair. I dropped him because I didn't think it was sustainable. He kept doing awesome. And this time I went out and got Marchment and forced myself to not make the same mistake. I held Marchment in the face of all the unlikelihood that he could keep up what he's doing. And I'm happily cashing in instead of somebody else cashing in is the way it was with Duclair. So I'm happy about what Mason Marchment is doing. I can't quite explain it. But the fact that he actually improved his deployment and landed on the top line is even more exciting because there's more opportunity for him to continue rolling there than there would have been if he had stayed on the, you know, what is the third line in Florida. So this is great. And if Mason Marchman is available, you should go get him, even though it's definitely not a sustainable point per game pace. Uh, he's sustaining it for now. Yeah, and even if he falls a little bit, that's still probably valuable in a lot of leagues, even if he falls like a 60-point pace. That's still pretty darn good. Uh, and don't worry about Anthony Duclair, by the way. He was bumped, I guess, from that top line, but he's been playing with Hubert Doe and Sam Bennett on the second line and doing really well and also on the top power play. So lots of uh, production to go around in Florida. Though I should say that just playing with Barkov doesn't guarantee that you're going to get a ton of points because case in point, Carter Verhage is on a bit of a cold run, even though he's on that top line as well with Marchment and Barkov. Only four points in his last nine games i don't want to panic with verhaggy like i'd love to wait him out like he was so good last year he was so good at the start of this year but i keep like making such great ads in the couple with and so i keep on not having anyone good to drop like just recently i added kyle Ocposo to my team on friday i was thinking he'd be like a good friday sunday monday streamer but the Ocposo keeps scoring goals every game feels like a tough guy to drop at this point uh, so I don't know, I'm going to have to drop somebody. I have Rob Thomas. I guess he was quiet today and Ocposo was quiet today. Verhaggy was quiet in his last game. So what do you think? I'm just try- trying to get a sense of like, is Verhaggy someone that's worth waiting for? Or if you like are having trouble deciding who to drop, is he someone that maybe you can let go of? Because, uh, you know, like he's playing on the top line. He's in a good spot. Like, I guess I'm just repeating myself now. But like, I just, I feel like he should be worth holding and worth waiting for. But I don't want to hold forever and just miss out on good players or drop someone who's better. We had this discussion last week, and I'll just refer anybody to go back. Like, my, my feeling hasn't changed about Verhege. There's been some uh, some bad shooting luck on the ice when Verhege's been on uh, a lot fewer goals happening, but it, it doesn't seem like something that is actually a problem and going to last. So it has been really hard to stick it out with Carter Verhege. I've had him. I have probably yeah it hasn't been fun i probably could have gotten more points out of someone if i streamed them in than verhege but i couldn't help but feel like ver like things are going to change shortly or they should be they're scheduled to change shortly hopefully things change shortly in florida and verhege can get back uh can get 
get back to helping you by playing with Barkov, which really is not asking a whole lot. And like I said last week, I expect it to happen. Right, yeah. Obviously, if the lines change and Verhegi's bumped down, that's a big reason for concern. But as of now, I'm going to hold. Though Kyle Poso, we got to ask about him, right? Like, he is just having this crazy resurgent season as a 33-year-old. He now has seven goals and two assists in his last 10 games. But okay, that was before today. So fine, seven goals and two assists in his last 11 games. That's still quite good. I assume he's not going to keep scoring on as many shots as he has been so far, but... I don't know. He's like I street. I just want to get your sense of like, is he an easy drop once the good schedule ends, or is he starting to become someone that's more than a streamer and potentially a hold? Kyle Ocposo, I wouldn't take him over Verhage, but I definitely would consider adding him to my lineup. And he is one of those guys I just mentioned who would have gotten me more points this week and last than Carter Verhage. Uh, what we're seeing from Ocposo is kind of real. He's playing 17 minutes a night this season compared to a pattern of 13, 14 minutes a night in recent years. Ogposo is averaging nearly three shots per game on this run he's on. He's shooting 25% on this run too. That's twice as high as we'd expect. And I think that's some of what uh, Ogposo's production has been uh, attributable to, for sure, like some shooting luck. But there's also, well, one, I think there is some chemistry with Dylan Cousins. And also, there's a bit of a renaissance here for Kyle Ocposo. I'm saying a lot of things are going well for him. We haven't seen things go well for Kyle Ocposo for a long time. In fact, his offensive numbers are high as they've ever been since leaving Tavares and the Islanders. Uh, like, what was it, five seasons ago? Then he went to Buffalo, got hit with the Buffalo slump. And now maybe there's a, a bit of life back in Ocposo's game. I'd still rather have Verhege, but Ocposo is absolutely rosterable beyond just a simple stream. Okay, yeah, it uh, gets tough sometimes. There's a lot of interesting players right now that are available in a lot of leagues. Here's one for you. Alexis Lafreniere over on the Rangers. I'm going to switch now to hot streaks and cold streaks to end the show. I see the Rangers just finished their game against Winnipeg. They won 4-1. to one. Side note, you are just jerking. Brian, come. Is he like the best goalie of all time? Like, I, I mean, I guess it's too early to say that, but he just had a game where he stopped 45 of 46. And we talk about Seattle and how they're getting sunk by goaltending. I wonder if, like, the Rangers in Seattle, if they swapped goalies, would, like, swap records as well. Like, I feel like Shostorkin on Seattle and Seattle would be, like, a playoff team doing just as well. Like, this guy's insane. So he's good. Uh, nothing to say there except for, like, don't trade Shostorkin if you have him. Don't try to upgrade him to Vasilevsky. Like, for me, I like Shostorkin more than it. But anyway, that boring. I want to talk about Lafreniere because he is someone who is available in, obviously, more leagues. Uh, three goals in his last five games going into today from his spot with Zibanejad and Kreider. Another assist today from that line. I don't want to say this is, like, the start of a, the big Lafreniere breakout, you know, that we were hoping for when he was drafted. Like, everyone, you know, was really excited to draft him in their leagues after he was taken first overall in 2020. And, you know, we've seen, like, the guy from the previous year jack hughes you know amazing he's like actually having a huge breakout so obviously lafreniere is not doing the same thing but he is getting to the point where i'm interested in him which is more than before like there was a point where i was interested in him just because of the deployment but then he wasn't doing anything so then i just figured he wasn't worth grabbing now he like has the deployment and he is producing so is it time for people to take a serious look at alexis lafreniere and add him to their rosters for their playoff run you could definitely take a look, and I think uh, Watchlist would be a, g- a good spot to throw Lafreniere for now. I mean, those three goals that he scored came on five shots, and those five shots came across four games. So there wasn't a whole lot of shooting going on. There was some scoring. That's nice, and he has an assist tonight. We've seen Lafreniere have good deployment this season and do nothing with it, and that's that's why I'm not bought in yet, and I, I'm not 
convinced that he's shooting enough to really be making a dent and continue putting up points the way he's been putting up points. But I, I understand that there's a temptation if you want to try and get out in front of it. Let me put it this way. I would be more interested in Lafreniere than Anthony Mantha. Okay, that I think that tells a good story there. And I think I would agree with you just because it's a great spot. Like Kreider just continues to have his amazing season. I could be talking about his goal that he scored today, but that's already like, you know, such a cold thing to say that Chris Kreider keeps scoring because he just does it all the time. Zabanish adds obviously amazing. So yeah, good for Lafreniere. Hopefully he can build on this. Uh, he's clearly been a disappointment. Like we're seeing what Jack Hughes has been doing. And Lafreniere has, is far from that at this point, but maybe... Maybe one day. And actually, let's talk about Jack Hughes right now. He's someone that we were talking about in our Discord recently. We were talking about how, like, how for real, like, people were asking, like, you know, I'm in a keeper league, like, I could trade him. There was some situation where the person trading him could get Ranson in, but like, they wouldn't be able to keep Ranson in. I, I don't remember the whole thing, but it was it was a whole thing. And by the way, come join our Discord and become a patron of Keeping Carlson. And uh, you can ask us your complex questions like that, and we can help break down the best decisions for you. But yeah, Jack Hughes, I was saying that I think this guy's just for real. He's like a 90 plus point guy that you could, like, bank on for. For years to come i'm like super in on him we ended up having like a really fun chat about like you were asking like has there ever been a guy who was like a super high pedigree player but then like and then looked good for the first couple years of his career and then like completely fell off just to see if there's like if he were to fall off would that be like the most rare thing to ever happen and we, we you know we asked on twitter i think alex galchenyuk was the most interesting answer that came off because he had those couple good years in montreal before completely disappearing uh but anyways where's your head at now brian a couple days into this discussion like how how comfortable would you be drafting Jack Hughes with, say, a late second round pick in the couple next season? At the end of the second round, I, you know, I'd be pretty comfortable. We also had uh, Alex McLean mention Eric Johnson, who put up like a 40 point piece as a rookie defenseman in St. Louis as another, you know, player who started strong in their career with a top draft pedigree and didn't get follow up. But I also don't want you to mischaracterize anything that I uh was feeling about Jack Hughes. I was actually like having this conversation kind of with myself on the Discord server at one point as I was thinking aloud about it and saying, well, Jack Hughes is doing this well now. So how likely is it that he's going to fall off? Like, do we have a lot of reason to doubt this, even though it's still kind of new? And yeah, there isn't much precedent for a, a young player with a great draft pedigree doing this well at this stage of their career and not being able to follow it up. So yeah, I'd be interested in Jack Hughes. I feel like uh, end of second round, maybe earlier than he needs to go. Uh, like Elon, I don't know exactly how high you think he'd be going. Like I, I might say a 70, 80 point player is where I might pencil him in now. But on our Discord server today, by the way, we've talked about a couple things. Our Discord server, patreon.com slash keeping Carlson, if you want to join that. And the cupful, kkupfl.com. It's our giant uh, super fantasy league, the best league in the world. Uh, we were talking on the server about Jason Robertson being a, a, a second round pick next fantasy season and him i'd rather have than jack hughes so i don't know yeah (laughs) yeah hot take well for his goals he's amazing he's got what back-to-back hat tricks now 100 points in 101 games he's doing amazing and i did a tweet uh, a couple days ago where he was compared to you know uh, a lot other players and where they were after 100 games played how many points they had and he was he was on the list, like with all these incredible names. You had your Crosby, McDavid, Ovechkin, Malkin. Jason Robertson was there a little below them, but he also played like two or three minutes a night less 
than those superstars did during their first 100 games. I'm a, I'm a big Jason Robertson fan. <laughs> okay, maybe that was too big of a reaction for me. But, like, I would take Jack Hughes. I, like, I'm a Jason Robertson fan as well. But, like, even when you said 70 to 80 points for Hughes next year, like, he's already pacing for above 90, and I think he's good for that. So maybe we'll just have to agree to disagree. But I'm a big Jack Hughes fan, so we could uh, have a Hughes versus Robertson battle. Like, I just feel like Hughes is, like, the leader. He's the, the guy, like, that's for sure the reason why his line is successful. I think, like, so Robertson... Kowalski hints is like a great three person line. Mm-hmm. I don't know if like you put Robertson on another line and he's still like putting up this production. I think Hughes is like the guy that you could carry him. Uh, you're you carry you're taking away from your other favorite guy, Jesper Brad. I think those two work together. <laughs> Isn't Jesper Brad like away from Hughes though? I think recently it's been Mercer, Hughes, and Sharon Govich. And like Mercer and Sharon Govich are like, like Mercer's obviously like a high pedigree guy and Sharon Govich is decent, but it's like, it seems to me like that's Jack Hughes carrying that line in a big way. So, I don't know. I say Hughes over Robertson. I see fancy tidbits of saying Robertson over Hughes, and for sure, with multiple R's. So, I guess that's a big debatable topic. Again, tweet at us. What was the last thing I asked people to tweet at us about? I feel like it was a much more boring thing. So, forget that other thing and tweet about Hughes versus Robertson. Okay, so I want to do some more hot streaks with you, Brian. Uh, let's go talk about this Nick Schmaltz game, right? I think we have to do that against Ottawa, where Arizona scored eight goals, and Schmaltz got in on seven of them. He had two goals and five assists. He was already on a super hot run before that game he now sits at 33 points in 36 games it's a 75 point pace and climbing of course i actually recall i did an episode of short shifts with lewis a couple weeks ago and he brought up nick schmaltz on a hot streak and i feel like i poo-pooed like i didn't say like no i'm not interested but i was kind of like yeah it seems good but at the same time like i'm not gonna like go crazy to grab nick schmaltz like i think he's in a good spot and he'll continue to get some points but i don't think he's gonna be like insane like i was wrong Right? Like, I feel like Schmaltz may be even more of a push kids and elderly out of the way a la George Costanza to grab out a free agency than Mason Marchment at this point. Or, or maybe that's crazy. So I'm curious to get your take, Brian, on a, a Schmaltz Marchment comparison. I don't know, throw Ocposo in there, but I think you have Marchment over Ocposo. So Schmaltz versus Marchment. Who are you grabbing? I think I'm going, oh, it's really hard. I like Mason Marchment on the top line, but if he gets bumped, I might prefer Schmaltz. Let's take a minute, though, and see what Schmaltz has been doing and why. And this is going back before that seven-point night, because after you have a seven-point night, it's like, oh, yeah, well, look at his stats in the last five games. He's off the charts, Nick Schmaltz. But without that seven-point night, Nick Schmaltz was above a point-per-game player, had 11 goals and eight assists for 19 points in 18 games and then seven more points in his 19th game in that run. Um, But again, not counting that seven-point night, Nick Schmaltz in those 18 games had 11 goals on 34 shots, which meant he was shooting 32% while only taking uh, fewer than two shots per game. And uh, on the season, Nick Schmaltz has 14 goals in 36 games. That's already the second highest goals total of his career. Nick Schmaltz's career high is 21 goals. He's pacing for 32 right now. Again, high shooting percentage happening for Schmaltz. And all of this, by the way, is coming after Schmaltz was so boring with just seven points in 17 games to begin the year, just 27 shots in those 17 games. To be honest, though, like this is all sounding like I'm I'm poo-pooing what Schmaltz is doing, but, and I kind of am, because the scoring can't keep coming this way. He's not going to score 11 goals on 34 shots every 18 games. But the, the reason I like Nick Schmaltz is he's exposed to Clayton Keller, which is more or less what got this run going for Nick Schmaltz six or seven weeks ago. You can trace back the shift 
from seven points in 17 games to 19 points in 18 games. That shift happened the moment Nick Schmaltz started playing regularly with Clayton Keller. Schmaltz is regularly is a low 50s point guy, but the way Keller is going, I could see Schmaltz reaching towards the 60 point pace once his scoring levels out. And Clayton Keller, by the way, a 76 point pace. He's still only 23 years old. He does have a 12% on a shooting percentage that is high, but everything else looks like this may be sustainable for Clayton Keller. And even if it isn't, uh, the guy has just seven power play points in 55 games. So if he does regress, more at five on five than I expect. He has room to grow on the power play to make up for it. I think Clayton Keller is going to be one of these like really hip, hypey guys to target come next year's drafts where he's a little under the radar now. But once everybody takes some time over the summer to digest the season and do their homework going into next season, Clayton Keller is going to be the guy I think a lot of people are talking about and reaching for in their drafts. Uh, But going back to Nick Schmaltz, it's hard not to jump at guys when they're doing what he's doing and when he's playing with someone like Clayton Keller, the way Keller's going. So I would go for it if Nick Schmaltz is available in your league. Uh, I would take him after Mason Marchment, after top line Mason Marchment, and then have Ocposo third in the group. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, Clayton Keller, by the way, it's like, you know, not even worth discussing his measly four points in that game compared to Schmaltz's seven. But yeah, obviously a huge game for Keller. Also, uh, Shane Gossesbear had a goal and three assists, so he continues his impressive season. Meanwhile, the people still holding on to Jacob Chikrin. He took four shots. So that's nice, but no points. He had the most time on ice of all the defensemen in that game. I guess of all the players in that game for Arizona, but not a single assist on the eight goals. So that's obviously very frustrating. Uh, what's next here? I wanted to do another hot streak. Oh, yeah. And in, in Vegas, Riley Smith all of a sudden is getting points every game, right? He scored two goals versus the Sharks, picked up an assist versus Anaheim. Then on Friday, Vegas, like we've said, is playing Ottawa and the red hot Anton Forsberg. And I believe he has, yeah, Marshall scored a goal that Riley Smith assisted on. So he just continues to produce. This is a guy who's been like a pretty boring-ish, like 55 to 60 point guy last year even he was dropped in a lot of leagues you i remember brian were like saying he wasn't even worth looking at for stretches when he was like down less than half point per game but looking really good this season uh seems like his line with marshall and carlson is doing well and also at least in the last game on friday that top power play looked really good like finally it was just vegas putting all the best players on the top power play eichel marshall carlson riley smith then alex petrangelo which is interesting we'll talk about that in a sec i'll check quickly if that's still holding today but yeah, if Riley Smith is on the top power play with Eichel and co, and he's on the line with Marsha, so I'm getting all these points. He's another appealing guy that, uh, I don't know, I guess now you, you could compare him. We're talking about a lot of appealing free agents. Maybe it's not the kind of thing where we have to compare everyone to everyone else. I'm sure for a lot of people listening to this, most of these guys are rostered, but maybe one isn't. And if Riley Smith is available, you've got to be at least a little bit interested, right? A little bit interested, for sure. Um, you know, the power play one deployment for Riley Smith, that bumps him up the list of streamers. I think I still don't see him as being so much more than that. Of course, it depends on the depth of your format. And Riley Smith has been a guy who's really disappointed me a lot in the last couple of years. So I think that bias might also be coming through. But yeah, being on the top power play, uh, let's say I would prefer him to another guy who's been bumped up to the top power play in Colin White. How about that? Oh, well, I mean, that yeah, that's definitely... I think Riley Smith okay. is like a solid right. like 55, Too easy. Guy. Yeah, okay. But actually, I'm looking at the power play today versus Ottawa is back to kind of like splitting it evenly. We've got Pat 
Patcher. Oh, so Patcheretti's back. I guess that's the big reason for the shakeup. So Patcheretti, Marsha So, Eichel, and Dodonov with Theodore, and then Riley Smith, Carlson's Chandler Stevenson, and Nicholas Roy with Petrangelo, and uh, that's what they've been running with. So I guess forget the Riley Smith top power play situation, but still an interesting free agent depending on who else is available. Let's uh, do a cold streak now, which uh, has disappeared since I wrote this in John Klingberg because before today's game, he was pointless in eight games in a row. I was going to ask you if we're in snoozer territory for John Klingberg, even though I knew what your answer was going to be because I've asked you about him before when he's gone cold. And you said, look, he's on the top power play. So I'm just going to do both our, of our sides of the conversation. You'd say, look, he's on the top power play in Dallas. Like, so there's always that chance that he's going to produce, but he's not a super consistent guy. But if Dallas is a big game, he might get in on some goals. And just today, Dallas beat Capo Kakinen and the uh, Minnesota Wild, well, and eventually Camp Talbot. Both goalies ended up getting in because Dallas scored six goals, and John Klingberg got in on two of them. He had two assists, and he also had six shots. So a very nice game for anyone who's held on to John Klingberg. Now are my are we gonna have to wait another eight games for him to have another multi-point game? Like, what's your general thought on Klingberg at this point? Is there anything interesting and new to say about him? Are you gonna be like, let me just look back at the notes of the last time I talked about him? I'm gonna do that exactly. I feel like we've been telling this story all season. John Klingberg's doing nothing. What should we do with him? Well, you wait because he's inconsistent and it sucks. John Klingberg's doing great. Can he keep this up? Well, no, he's probably going to fall off again. So we're just going to keep going back and forth on that. Uh, but his six shots and two assists today pretty much put this cup full week out of reach for me against my opponent. So that was really frustrating. But then I looked at Klingberg's past like several games I'm like, well, maybe I was uh, I got off the hook for a couple other games that Klingberg played this week. But this is life with John Klingberg. And I honestly, Elon, the next time you ring Klingberg up, just do it only if he's uh, playing consistently well. Because I think if he's if he's playing inconsistently, that's what we expect. He goes cold for a while, he puts up some points. He goes cold again, he puts up some points. So you're basically saying, like, if you have Klingberg and he goes cold, don't drop him. Just be him. ready for it. Yeah. Oh, okay. this is, or, this or is, drop him and just like expect that this is going to happen. Exactly. This is this is life with John Klingberg on your roster. Call me when he's producing consistently over a month. That would be really exciting. Okay. Or I guess if he's off top power play, maybe then that's a reason to for sure. Okay. Drop him. That too. Yeah. Okay. I just want to know when I'm allowed to talk about him again. Uh, I guess we should talk about the wild goalies. That was something we were talking about in our little pre-show before we started recording, because you were saying how you were a little bit disappointed in losing out on Kapo Kakinen, I think. But at this point, Kakinen's like blown such a great opportunity because Camp Talbot has been absolutely terrible, which we were kind of like waiting for. At one point, we were saying, look, Minnesota is so good at protecting their goalies. They're making Talbot look better than he really is. Kakinen would be a great guy to grab if Talbot ever faltered. Talbot has been faltering. He let, Am I saying this correctly? Yeah, so Kakinen started the game today against Dallas. He let four goals on 21 shots before he got pulled so uh yeah i don't know like it's just it feels like a blown opportunity at this point are we just like not interested in either minnesota goalie i feel like that would just be such like a mistake to say like i feel like as soon as we'd say it and then someone would drop their minnesota goalie and then because minnesota's not a bad team like i don't know exactly what's going on right now i have a hunch that one of these goalies is going to get going again at some point but it's hard to predict which one because they've both been very disappointing lately what do you think it's hard to imagine at this point. They've both had opportunities. Like someone, you would think some competitive fire would take over. I mean, I'm sure these guys are competitive and they're professionals. I'm sure they're doing the best they can and very frustrated that things aren't working out. But man, the door is wide open 
for someone, anyone to take the job in Minnesota. I cut ties with Kakanen on my Cupful team a couple weeks ago. Since then, the Wild have played 10 times. He started five of those times and has accumulated five, uh, 20 Cupful points which over 10 games is just two points per game. And uh, that's very bad in the kickup flow. If you have a goalie, you want them getting you at least five points per game. Uh, ideally, they're getting you like between seven and nine. So this is very, very bad for Capo Kakanen that he hasn't been able to take advantage of this golden opportunity. I was saying before the show started that I wonder if, and I said this last week, I wonder if it's time for Minnesota to look to outside opportunities. Elon, your counter was, where would they get that? Like they're going to give up an a, a, an asset for to bring in a goalie that is also a crapshoot. But at this point, if Talbot and Kakanen aren't grabbing the reins, what are you going to do? Because Minnesota is a really good team. They have a lot going for them. And it would be a shame if they were just sunk by their goaltending. It would be a shame, but also it's like their goal. What I responded was just like their goalies are probably just as likely to get going again as whichever goalie they bring in. Like we've seen Talbot and Kakanen have good runs in the past. I'm seeing both Fantasy Tidbits and Shane are saying in the chat here that they'd vote on Talbot to get a shot again now. So maybe if Talbot was dropped in your league because he was doing so badly and then Kakanen was getting the opportunity, maybe now you try Talbot again and just hope. Obviously, there's a different, like there's two things, right? Getting an opportunity to play again, which I think Talbot will get, then it's like actually doing something with it. And and, you know, he's done it before, like earlier this season. So it's not as if he's just lost all of his talent. So we'll see if he can bounce back a little bit. Here, Brian, a question in the chat. So uh, benefit of joining our live shows here. Shams wanted us to quickly talk about Alex Killorn, who's on a cold streak. So he's someone that we basically haven't talked about all year because he's been super consistent. He's been playing with Stamkos at even strength. He's on the top power play. He was just rocking all season long. But all of a sudden now, pointless in four games, including today against Chicago, where Tampa scored a lot of goals. What did it end up being? Six to three. And nothing thing for Alex Killorn. So if you have him and you've been holding him all year, do you panic? Or like, I'll tell you my gut answer without having really looked into it is I'd hold him and not be too worried. As long as he's playing with Stamkos at even strength and on the top power play, I feel like that's just someone like, it it seems like it would be very hard to not produce for much longer. Uh, But Brian, any uh, deep insights that you can pull up quickly about Alex Killorn? No, that's about what I would say too, that you just hope that Killorn, you know, with his excellent deployment, um, playing with Samikos at five on five and getting a nice share of power play time does get back on it. I mean, a four game cold streak for Alex Killorn shouldn't be something that we really get so down about. And it's really just kind of catching our attention because it's his longest cold streak of the season. He's been a really great, consistent producer this year. Uh, really consistent. Alex Florin has been a great guy to have on your roster, which we weren't so sure would be a, a fair expectation, but 67 point pace and rarely going more than a game or two without a point. So yes, this is out of character for him, but I don't see any reason to start panicking now. Uh, but I, I think, you know, you never really see those reasons come out right at the start of a cold streak. So we'll keep an eye on things and see if it doesn't reverse by next week. We'll revisit and see what we think of Kalorn going forward. Yeah, but in the meantime, trade deadline coming up. Now, he's a guy I'd potentially try to buy low on or maybe just hope that he gets dropped and then you can grab him for free, of course. Okay, one last goalie I wanted to ask you about. Let's say you're tired of Kakanen. You w- wish there was another goalie available. You heard us talk about Anton Forsberg. You're thinking of adding him. But all of a sudden, right at the end of the show, there's another goalie that maybe is even more appealing than Anton Forsberg or Anthony Stolarz. Brian, what do you think about this Nico Dawes guy over in New Jersey? New Jersey had a four-game week this week. 
Dawes got all four games. This is the first time this season that a New Jersey goalie has played like four games in a row. I feel like they've just been jumping around with no success. But this uh, Nico Dawes not doing too badly. He got the win today against St. Louis, stopping uh, 19 of the 21 shots he faced. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying he's amazing, but I like New Jersey. Like, we, you know, we just talked about Jack Hughes. Like, they're a team that could score a lot of goals. So you just need a goalie that can rein it in somewhat. And they have a decent chance at a win. So if Nico Dawes is going to be a volume starter, maybe he's someone that people should be taking a look at right now. Yeah, it's a good recommendation, Elon. Although I will, I am looking. Hockeygoalies.org, by the way, a great resource. It's the best way that I know of to visualize goalie starts for a team and how time is being shared. It's a very simple website. It's maintained by just like one guy who I emailed once when I noticed the site wasn't updating. He said he was working on a new host or something. Anyway, it's like a labor of love. Hockeygoalies.org. They have these NHL game logs. And on that, I can see that Mackenzie Blackwood has started more than you know, four or more in a row a couple times this season. And wouldn't you know it, Elon, John Gillies uh, through the end of January, started five in a row as well. So okay, he's, uh, he stunk, though. Yeah. Oh, he might have only started four of those and come on in relief in okay. one of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, it actually wasn't a terrible run. But then again, recently at the start of February, he started four in a row. And that was uh, when I guess the Devils decided, hey, it could be Nico Dawes time. So it is nice to see him run. It's not so rare that a Devils goalie gets this much run, but it is rare that they play reasonably well during it, which is what Nico Dawes seems to be doing. Uh, And he has had, out of all these goalies, uh, not a whole lot of opportunity right? Like we've seen Akira Schmid come in and do terribly. Scott Wedgwood was on the team earlier in the season. He did poorly. Mackenzie Blackwood, John Gillies have done poorly. Nico Daz has not blown it yet. And that might be the number one reason to be interested in him as the devil's goalie. Okay, so I think we've given people a lot of options for what to do with their goalies. Some interesting forwards that might be available in free agency. I don't know if we came up with a great replacement for Ivan Provorov, but aside from that, I'm going to say that we've had a pretty successful show here. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you're you're here, you're two hours into an episode of Keeping Carlson, you're one of our super fans, and we really appreciate it. And we hope that you're enjoying the show. If you have any feedback to us about what you'd like to hear going down the stretch towards your playoff run, we're here to help you be successful, right? This is our labor of love. And so tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. Let us know what you think. If you want to come hang out with us and the patrons, chat about strategy, I think we got a pretty good deal for you, okay? Five bucks a month. And thanks so much to the people who have been supporting us as patrons all season long. But if you haven't been, just jump in at the end. Uh, you know, pay. You only actually pay at the end of the month. So you could even sign up right now. It's March 6th. We're at the beginning of a month. You can sign up as a patron, hang out all through March. And if you're not satisfied, if you're not having a good time, you could leave and you won't even get charged at all. So that's a little hot tip for you. Uh, but yeah, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. We'd love to have you in our Discord. But you could also just tweet at us at keepingcarlson and we'll try to help you out there as well. Uh, and subscribe to us over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, because we've got a lot of great shows. I'm going to be doing a show, Brian, in just two days. I'm going to be joining Ben for short shifts. Lewis is going to be taking a well-deserved day off, and then Ben and Lewis will be back on Thursday for a show, breaking down what's happened on, I guess, Tuesday and Wednesday's games. And then you and I will be back next Sunday to do what we always do and what I always look forward to every week. So, Brian, I guess with that, let's cue the outro music. Why don't you go ahead and read us the credits as we finish off another episode of Keeping Carlson. 
All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our super supporters, Flash, Christopher, Andrea, Tom, Derek, David, Rob, Patty, and our newest one, Tyler. Thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Thank you to our amazing team, including Cupful Coordinator Kevin Bear and our team of co-commissions, Shems Ben Amore, for helping us run the essential Fantasy Hockey Twitter accounts at Game Day Lines, at Game Day News NHL, and at Game Day Goalies. Also, you can follow Ben and Lewis at Short Shifts, KK on Twitter. Also, listen to the stream scheme. Link is in the notes, hosted by Dave Benton, who I did beat in a league this week accidentally <laughs> uh, you can follow dave on twitter at nhl stream scheme logo art by brandonweave.com outro music by pat roach this episode was researched with help from dauber hockey person tools dauber prospects natural stat trick evolving hockey cap friendly the athletic hockey goalies.org hockey reference hockey biz hockey database elite prospects nbc sports edge and yahoo Yahoo, Brian, what a fun time we've had. Why don't you uh, go ahead and tell people what you'll be doing over this week while you wait for your next episode. This week and every week, I do, and I'm going to invite you to do the same thing. Let's keep doing all we can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone.